0: So I'm always emphasizing people to invest in your mental health and be mindful of just how much you let the external world infringe on the well-being of your inner world, mm-hmm. which I feel like many people, especially in the West, don't seem to uh, f- focus enough on. It's this continuous cycle of – of. Um, of satisfying your various desires, your, you know, sexual food, you know, I'm going to order a DoorDash and get food right away, then I'm going to go do this and that and, and you know, play video games, listen to this podcast and, and do, you know, all, all these things that are distractions and never actually addressing, like, who you are as a person and where you want to go in your life, what you want to do.
1: Hello, everybody. You're listening to Chatting with Candace. I'm your host, Candice Horbach. We don't really have any housekeeping this week, so we're going to jump straight into the podcast. Please help me welcome contributor to the New York Post, Globe and Mail, Rav Aurora. So Rav, thank you so much for joining. Um, we had a bit of fun warming up, but I did want to say that I'm really excited for this episode because we have gone back and forth, back and forth, and even today it was like, is he going to show up or is something going to happen with the babysitter and we're going to have to reschedule again? Um, because I've been following you for a while, and I think what your work itself is very fascinating, but what's more fascinating is the person behind that, and that's kind of what I want to get to with this episode, is kind of humanizing this really young, int- interesting person.
0: Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. And it's, it's great to finally be here. I know we've had so many countless delays for so many different reasons going on. And then this morning was just like so bizarre for me because I, I woke up. And I was finishing this article on the upcoming Canadian election mm-hmm. on Monday. Yeah. And, uh, and I just, I was trying to find a place to publish it. And there were a few publications that were kind of pushing back, not interested, um, which is a real problem in journalism, is like finding the right outlet and actually having a platform to voice your opinions. Because so much of the mainstream media is just a monolith of opinions. It's like there, there's one side. Then all the other opinions get pushed away, mm-hmm. and so that was kind of a bit of a struggle. But I did find a good publication that I've written before for to publish the article on uh, on the certain dangers posed by the Trudeau government here in Canada, and so that was just published like like 20, 30 minutes ago, right before we started. Uh, talking and warming up a little bit. So yeah, it's it's, it's good to be here. I'm, I'm excited to, uh, t- to talk to you.
1: Yeah, I wanted to get into that article that you just posted because I didn't have time to read it because we were literally DMing and you're like, I have to post this article. Yeah. And it sounds fascinating to me. Like you're right above, right? Like we're so close geographically speaking, but for some reason, um, the information kind of seems to flow unevenly. Like everyone is super involved in U.S. politics, and a lot of times we feel very disconnected to what's going on in Canada, or we'll just see clicky um, headlines, and that's kind of it. We very rarely read about it or really get uh, dive too deep. So, can you kind of explain what's going on? Like I've never heard of what a snap election is. I don't really understand the concept, and I just know that I see people from Canada that are Team Trudeau, and then he's got to get out. So do you want to enlighten this ignorant American? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Usually it's the other way around. Usually it's Canadians who care about American politics, right? Mm -hmm. Not not Americans caring about Canadian politics because it tends to be very boring here. Whereas in the U.S., (laughs) you got all the – the fireworks of freaking Donald Trump and then sleepy Joe and, you know, the crazy orange man and, you know, the guy who can't even utter four words and probably has dementia and, you know, crazy Kamala Harris with her creepy laugh. Like, it's just like a, it's like a reality TV series. It's not real. It's not, it's not real at all. The U S politics here, it's a bit more laid back. Mm -hmm. Um, Although that seems to be not a accurate way to represent what's going on here because you literally have, a leader right now who is exercising authoritarian control, quite literally. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, You have, uh, like, there's just so much to get into, but he, especially with vaccine passports, I think is the major issue for this election. Mm -hmm. It's Trudeau who's been incentivizing uh, provinces, which the equivalent of states, basically, uh, incentivizing provinces to implement vaccine passports. So everybody 12 and over, has to be vaccinated in order to go to a gym and work out, indoor dining, movie theaters, nightclubs, um, living on campus for university. And there are no exceptions for having had COVID and recovering and having the antibodies. No exception for even having a medical exception, by the way, which is like so bizarre to me. So- I don't know why that would be allowed
1: yeah, you see that um, happening here in some of the states as well. And that doesn't make sense because everyone keeps yelling science and they think that if they can yell science loud enough and, and as many times as they can, that that validates their argument. But science is always evolving. There's always at least two sides to it, right? If you, it depends on what research you want to do. You're going to find experts that are constantly in a dis, in disagreement. Um We've never – people are comparing it to other shots, and they're like, well, you know, we – most people are fully vaccinated with MMR, uh, measles, mumps, rubella, all of these things, and that's true, but I've never been asked to bring my card to, to eat to prove that I don't have measles, right? It's just
0: mm-hmm. – you can't really yeah, compare yeah.
1: it. It's not the same.
0: No, yeah, and you can't even compare it with the – the um, research done on each of the vaccines, and and I'm not even like anti-vax by any stretch of the mm-hmm. imagination. I'm, you know, I told my grandparents to get vaccinated because they're they're elderly, over 65, have underlying health conditions, they're overweight, so I told them to get it, which I'm happy they did, and you know now they're fairly protected. Although I'm kind of slightly changing my mind in real time because there's some new data showing that the effectiveness of the vaccine tends to drop over time and that's not that used to be considered a conspiracy theory a few months ago but there's literally an article in NPR that I just read um, and also one in the Daily Beast I believe a couple of weeks ago like stating this as absolute fact that this is true that the effectiveness does does uh, reduce over time and that's very very uh, concerning because then that would mean that the promise of the vaccine is not being um, met and that there are other things going on and, and th- then there's a whole conversation about boosters which was in the news this week um, F- the Pfizer company who are, uh, who are meeting with the FDA trying to get approval for booster shots even though the the research they have on booster shots is just so scant, it's so limited and then they're trying to draw these broad conclusions based on um from what I understand, a very small trial with not a diverse um, enough of uh, trial participants because you know when you're studying something, you want you know men, women, you want older people, younger people, people with different health conditions, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But this was rushed very, very quickly. And um, it did not include anybody um, in the age range of sixteen to seventeen and and that is that tends to be the age group, which, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know if you know, but uh, myocarditis is mm-hmm. a big issue right now with with heart inflammation. I, I seem to be like the only one like tweeting about this, and some people think it's kind of crazy, but it's actually true. Like the data we have right now, like no conspiracy, no speculation, but like the actual data we're seeing in Canada and Israel and the U.S. as well is showing young teenage boys experiencing disproportionate cases of myocarditis, which is just heart inflammation, mm-hmm. and, and that's a big that's a big concern and is not being factored in in terms of policy decisions and and uh, and Pfizer is trying to rally behind the the booster shots and and they're, of and they're staying they are. And,
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 pain,
0: yeah.
1: Right, that's yeah, where the yeah. money that they're making right now.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. People people don't seem to understand how financial incentives work. Mm-hmm. Like you you need to follow who's profiting off of this and who's not and what the exact incentives are because we're we're a very incentive driven species you know things that we want you know we're more driven to get that and we're more likely to filter out things that we don't want to see based on our biases but the pfizer they um in their statement that i was reading just yesterday they were saying that you know for booster shots we did not include any 16 to 17 year olds in our analysis in our in our study of the booster shots but they said we are extrapolating, we're, we're expanding based on the data we have for older people and we're going to improve, you know, we're going to try to improve booster shots for young people who already are not going to have a significant benefit from the vaccine because we know healthy young people under 20, under 25 are at extremely, extremely low risk of COVID. But, but the media just likes to likes to uh, propagate just fear porn is is the word I like to use. It's just like they're always trying to exaggerate fear and not actually understand the facts.
1: Oh, yeah, because that's what gets people to pay attention, right, is if you feel like it's directly going to – Affect you or your family. And I can't remember where I was reading this, but they were saying that boys, younger boys, are six times more likely to get myocarditis from a vaccine than from COVID itself. And then, like you said, I've seen a lot of articles as well that are um, showing significant adverse effects for specifically young boys who are not generally at risk, right? There's a small percentage that have had a very bad experience with COVID, and that's really unfortunate. But just at scale, it doesn't seem to hit them as it does older people. Um, and we actually know someone that lost their 14 year old after their second dose. So,
0: um, I oh, mean, really? Was yeah. it a male?
1: Yeah, a 14 year old son. So, it, was it heart related? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: It was heart. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, so, and perfectly
1: nah. healthy. Perfect. And it sucks because Perf- wow. it, it's two parents okay. that, based off of the information that they had, felt like they were doing what was best for their kid and now they don't have their kid anymore so it's not to say don't get vaccinated but it's saying sure. it's the only time we've never been allowed to have the conversation like why can't we like with the Nicki minaj stuff that's happening happening right now it's like man she just came out of left field <laughs> but it's amazing um and one of the yeah. uh republican i think she was running for congress she didn't win kimberly Clasic. Uh, she made a post and she's yeah. like just a reminder and she posted this Nicki Minaj photo album and she's in a thong and like bending down and she's like, while you guys are celebrating her coming out and say, you know, talking about free speech and censorship, remember that you, you, you guys are the ones that have an issue with her line of work as well. So censorship goes both ways. So you don't get to just celebrate her because she's saying something that you agree with at this moment. Um, So maybe check yourself too. And I thought that was really cool because very rarely do you see anyone kind of criticizing their own party. And that's what I like to see. I like to see – individual thought and great critical thinking and not someone who's just towing the line so i dm'd her and it was just like you go girl that was really awesome (laughs) did she reply yeah we she we follow each other see that's another thing so she's running for congress she's republican we follow each other we've we've talked um i do want to reach out to her if she wants to come on but it just again it shows um i think it shows extreme maturity and it's not judging someone based off of one piece of evidence and just, you know, coming to the conclusion that you know everything about them. It's like leaving – it's leaving that space open. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know the Nicki Minaj thing is just so <laughs> – it's another one of those, like, yeah, we're living through a simulation. This is not real. <laughs> like, like, Tucker Carlson, I think, like, three days in a row, he did a monologue on Nicki Minaj. And just, like, seeing, like, Tucker's, like – you know, swelled up face, and, and and I actually like Tucker by the way, which I don't know if I should say that, but I actually do like. What he does. Um, can cancel? Yeah, I should, I should just freaking <laughs> leave right away now. Yeah, it's it's over. It's over. Maybe cut that part out. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but no, Tucker. Yeah, he's the only he's the only uh, mainstream kind of media person that I actually respect. Um, really like CNN, MSNBC, even other hosts on Fox News. Like they all just seem to be repeating these very stale talking points that lack that lack any kind of nuance or or um or any kind of analytical insight that is worth um giving time to right especially with podcasts right now it's very very difficult to find time to listen to everything Mm -hmm. like i i have a crisis right now where i like i i'm always seeing interesting podcasts um usually like uh, Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, uh, Megan Kelly, especially now I, I love her podcast. It's, it's really great. And it's like, they're always putting out so much excellent content. And it's like, I can only listen to like 20% of it. Mm-hmm. I just can't get everything in my head. I can't listen to everything. You know, I try to, you know, when I'm washing dishes or driving or, you know, trying to work out, I try to, you know, mix it in. Mm-hmm. But, and, and so because of the, the boom of the podcast industry, we're seeing the, the, Basically, the demise of the mainstream media, with the exception of Tucker, whose numbers are still t- topping the charts, which is which is excellent. And uh, yeah, yeah, with the Nicki Minaj thing, that was uh, yeah, that was just that was pure comedy. It was one of those moments where I was like, okay, time to sit back, you know, t- take a laugh a little bit, and also like the deeper part of it, like you're pointing out, is just somebody who who perhaps should be loyal to the democratic party or to, or, or broadly speaking, more to the left wing kind of agenda, given her past, um, or her, you know, who she is as a person, right. doesn't scream conservative, you know, exactly. But, but she's, all she's saying is like, yeah, like I, I need to, um, like, like all she said was that her friend's cousin had the, uh,
1: the swollen ball the that everyone thought was great. Yeah. Yeah
0: yeah the adverse event from the vaccine Mm -hmm. she never said don't get vaccinated or Mm -mm. the vaccine is dangerous she just stated you know an anecdote
1: in her mind Mm -hmm.
0: and she shared that with the world and you see just like MSNBC just going crazy going after her and then her retweeting Tucker Carlson's monologue on her and then MSNBC just going crazy again and just like they're just like going out of their minds about Nicki Minaj and all this kind of thing but it's yeah, the the va- like just the vaccine group groupthink to me is just so dangerous right now, especially with with young people like you're talking about you knowing somebody um, who had that adverse event and and died which is just so tragic.
1: Right, um, and it's like, wor- yeah. And yeah. it's like you don't want to you can say okay just because you've you know someone that has had an experience, right? And you're using that to justify anything, but you can go to vares, right? And the number is not zero. That's, you know what I mean? It it doesn't matter. We can talk about everyone always wants to nitpick and say, well, those numbers aren't accurate and we don't know. Well, we can say that about any statistic ever given. So we kind of have to throw that argument out, but the number's not zero. So if the number's not zero, I think that warrants a conversation. And I think it comes down to the parents as well. I mean, I've never been anti-vax. My kid has all of his vaccinations. I've got all of mine, right? It's never been something I really thought about. And then I think this Environment has had me kind of turning my head a little bit, and I've been seeing a lot of videos with Rob Sh- Rob Schneider. Do you know who that is? He's uh nah. he's in a lot of the Adam Sandler movies. He's the funny guy with the br- like longer brown hair. Um, he was in like big. He was in Big Daddy, Fifty First Dates, a bunch of stuff. But he's like he's a relatively famous comedic actor, and he has done a lot of podcasts and late night interviews talking about vaccinations and he i i think his conversations are a little bit um, dated i'm not sure cuz i don't see timestamps but i think he's referring to just vaccinations period when it comes to kids having to go to public school and saying that that should be the individual's choice to assess and i was like whoa i never i never thought about that and i never thought i'm doing this because i have to i, I guess i never you know what i mean You just assume that the government had done the research for you and all of these things, and then you just kind of make that decision blindly. So I was a little bit disappointed in myself that I just, I guess, automatically did that. I don't know. Again, I'm not anti-vax, but it's just I read all of the side effects for any medication I take or um, any vitamins, all of that, but you don't do it for anything else. So again, it's not saying not to do it, but it's just saying – maybe think about it, maybe talk about it. Maybe if you're being told you can't ask questions and that should ring some kind of an alarm. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that, that,
0: yeah, yeah go ahead. ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say it's, it's so alarming to think that the government could be providing um, policies and incentives that are dangerous to our health. Um, specifically young people is, Right. right now, all I'm all I'm uh, talking about here. I'm, I'm not saying older people shouldn't get vaccinated. Um, like I was saying earlier, the the waning effectiveness of the vaccine that is a newer concern that I'm learning about, and I'm not sure what to make of it yet. Yeah, that is a concern, and you're seeing in Israel, which uh, was uh, one of the most heavily vaccinated countries from the start, who are experiencing a devastating wave of cases and hospitalizations right now, which has led to the, the push for the booster shots there. And so I'm looking at that and I'm like, okay, that is not where we want to go, but that looks like the place we are going to go because of decisions that have been made that are potentially not in our best interests decisions that were, were made certainly with, with good intentions, but were rushed and were driven by other financial, extraneous incentives that are problematic. But with young people, it's the myocarditis um, problem is a real concern. Um, it appears to be something like one in 6,000 or one in 7,000 cases for mm. roughly like 12 to 20 year olds. Um, they, so it's like one in 6,000, roughly, for. Um, cases of myocarditis after the second dose. Mm-hmm. That appears to be the. Um, uh, it's more so the second dose rather than the first dose for experiencing myocarditis. And and one in six thousand. Like if that's a risk you want to take, you know you could take it. Um, you know if your kid is obese and is diabetic, underlying health conditions, and he wants to go to school without worrying about COVID, that could be a that could be a risk assessment you could make, and you could do that. But if, if your kid is healthy, if you have a young boy who's healthy, you know, it, it seems to not make any sense at all, given this myocarditis issue, to um, have the vaccine or at least use two doses. Because right now in the UK, Hong Kong and Norway, they're only recommending one dose for um, kids, for young males in that, uh, in that age range. Whereas here in Canada, you're being coerced to get two doses if you're a young male. And in Los Angeles, for example, if you go to a public school, you're mandated to get the vaccine in order to go to class. Like that, that, that to me is just a total violation of individual rights that you have to get the vaccine in order to get public education. Like, like that's just so tyrannical and authoritarian, like way beyond anything, you know, you could say about like Trump and the dangers that he posed, like this is real. Authoritarianism. This is a real um, violation of our human dignity and our own individual um, integrity to make decisions that are in our best interests.
1: So, in Canada, um, are you allowed? I guess because I'm not fami- familiar with your guys' rights, right? Your inherited rights. So I know here it was at, I want to say Rutgers University, they were mandating vaccines for all of the, um, for all of the students. And only one of them was basically like, fuck you, lawyered up, sued the school, and now he's on campus. But it's, I think the problem is no one has a follow through, right? We just see a lot of outrage. On both ends and no one's following through so it's you have to be that uncomfortable it put yourself in that uncomfortable situation if you want to be um a part of the change do you know what i mean it's it's having the conversations it's not being silent when there's controversy controversy it's lawyering up it's standing up for what you hmm. believe in we have um we have a mandate now again in north carolina we had the masks and then we got rid of the masks We were maskless for like, I don't know, a few months, and then they just put them back in randomly for no reason. We've had no increase in deaths at all, and they just slapped it back on. Um so a lot of the local local businesses here are like we're not following this. So you can come in if you wanna to, want to masked, um you don't have to. And I think that's where you start to see the changes with the small business and with the people that are actually on the ground. It's not with the politicians and all of these people that are just blindly following all of the this bull like these bullshit mandates, like mask while you're walking around the restaurant, but then you can take it off at the table. How the fuck is that science? It doesn't make no, sense. No,
0: no, 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 no. It's not science. Masks, masks have always been more of a a, uh, a social signal for you being on the side of science. It's it's been more of like a a uh, visual display of how of how <clears throat> of how seriously you take the risk of COVID, rather than this actually mitigating your risk of getting COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like the masks, they come on, they come off. You know, if you look last year. I believe this was early last year, early twenty twenty, when Fauci said masks are useless, that they're not effective. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, use them. And then fast forward later, just a few months after, it's everybody wear masks. You know, masks are important. If you are not wearing your mask, you are killing grandma. If you are out jogging on a track by yourself with nobody around you, you got to put on your mask. And um, and like just like with schools too. Like we know, we know that young populations are not um in any way strong vectors of of uh contracting serious illness with covid we, we know that where we know kids are at extremely low risk but you know my my young sister she's in grade four she has to wear her mask all day in class and she has certain nasal issues sometimes she has a hard time breathing so you know i just told her to put it underneath her nose because it's, it's so stupid it's not protecting her it's not you know changing anything um I was listening to Megan Kelly yesterday talk about her uh, son who uh, is in elementary school who was doing outdoor PE, like push up, sit ups, and like he was just sweating and he had to put his mask on outside. Like, that's so, like, that's not scientific to wear the a mask here outside too. where we know transmission is radically, like, outside you're safe. It's, yeah. it's indoor spaces when you put people together
1: with um, stagnant and air.
0: Yeah. And in close contact where you have transmission. So, so this is all just like, it's, I I think the most charitable way to interpret this is they want to, the health authorities, the government, they want to mitigate the risk of COVID as much as possible and kind of do an overcorrection with that. So like try to be as safe as possible to prevent COVID and even implement measures that, may or may not work, probably do not work or don't work at all. But we want to you know, implement the tightest measures. So we have the least amount of COVID deaths, um, and, and serious cases and hospitalizations. But the problem with that calculus is that you're missing all the other um, consequences of that all the unintended consequences, um, all the other factors that are related to that that are economic, social, lifestyle, you know, young people all especially in the Especially for the, the young which, kids. Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? That yeah, part especially of their, the young kids. Yeah, yeah. That that stage of development is so critical for them. Like right now we have um he's just under two and he's in like a pre pre K and they teach them Spanish once a week. They have someone come in and teach them Spanish. The teachers fully masked. They won't even let them wear those visors. And I was like, well if you're gonna have this mandate especially with the little kids can you just wear one of those visors like the clear shields that way they can see your lips how the hell is my less than two-year-old gonna hear like be able to understand what you're saying when it's a foreign language when he can't read your lips that's such an important part of learning language they're like no sorry we can't do it we don't we have rules from above blah 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 it's like this is this is madness or i'll be a hundred degrees out and you see three-year-olds running around with masks on outside this doesn't make sense. I'll pull my kid out in two seconds if it once he if he's that age and we're still where we are, which is likely at this freaking point. Um,
0: I yeah, just- no, that is where we'll be. That is exactly where we are going. Oh, COVID not. is COVID is endemic. It's not going to leave. It's here to stay. It's here to stay. <laughs> Whether we like it or not, we just got to learn to Ooh, live, live with it. it. No, in a year, in five years, ten years, this is where we are at. So we have to learn to live with COVID. It's you know like. Like your stepdad or just moved in, maybe you don't like him, maybe you hate him. You just got to learn to live with him. You can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't get rid of it. You can't, you know. You can mitigate risks. You can work around it. You can learn to live with it in a manner that isn't, um, you know, dangerous to you or others. You can learn to cope with the certain um, effects of COVID. But yeah, it, it's here to stay. And the sooner we realize that, the more we're gonna be. Um, like liberal in the sense of like having more freedoms. That's mm-hmm. the other thing with like changes with um, especially the Trump administration and with COVID you're seeing like this inversion of the political um, spectrum where it's like liberals um, right now are people who want the tightest restrictions, who want, you know, a, a surveillance state with p- vaccine passports. That used to be more of a conservative right-wing kind of thing. Whereas conservatives now are more about freedom, which used to be a liberal cause. You know, they're about my body, my choice with the vaccine. That used to be a, a huge feminist cause. Now it's the people on the left are like, no, you know, it's it's your body. But no, it's our choice. It's the government's choice to impose what you do with your body. Whereas conservatives are like, no, no, you should have individual liberties. So it's like everything is just completely inverted right now. And things are not making sense especially when the authorities are consistently cracking down on on any dissent from from their own uh, policies and their own miscalculated decisions.
1: Yeah, isn't that it's really really ironic because it used to be the main talking point for abortion was my body my choice for for the left and then the conservatives would say, well, it's not your it's not about your body. It's about you potentially, right? if we're because we're no one's still clear on what a fucking life is at this point. So it's potentially hurting another person, ie the baby, right? So now we're at a place where it's my body, my choice with the conservatives, but then the liberals are are like, well, no, it's not about your body. It's about you potentially hurting someone else. It's nonsense. It's like it's all. Like you said, it's all a simulation. I'm like, how does no one else see what is happening? This doesn't make any bit of sense. <laughs> totally backwards. Yeah, I
0: know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, things aren't making sense. So it's, it, it's important to um, you know invest in yourself and your lifestyle. Things are crazy out there with the government and the authorities. You got to find a way to tune that out for a bit because I know certain people who just go crazy mm-hmm. looking at all these things in politics and all these policies that are – implemented that are totally wrong and and give all the perverse incentives so so for me i'm always encouraging younger people people of all ages like no don't let it affect you too much like yeah i know the government is exercising semi-tyrannical control over you yeah i know it's horrible but like you know still you know find ways to exercise eat healthy meditate my you know mental health is a huge problem we are seeing over the past uh um couple of years with suicide anxiety depression various forms of addiction and and social life being limited you know people who were like single who couldn't you know were unable to interact with other people and developed all kinds of horrible addictions and were just unable to cope with these things so so i'm always emphasizing people to invest in your mental health and be mindful of just how much you let the External world infringe on the well-being of your inner world, mm-hmm. which I feel like many people, especially in the West, don't seem to uh, f- focus enough on. It's this continuous cycle of of um, of satisfying your various desires. Your you know, sexual, food. You know, I'm going to order DoorDash and get food right away. And then I'm going to go do this and that, and, and you know, play video games, listen to this podcast, and, and do you know, all all these things that are distractions and never actually addressing like who you are as a person and where you want to go in your life what you want to do you know that's why i think it's um with with the podcast boom too it's uh, it's good that people like jordan peterson are are uh, encouraging people to change their lives and people like sam harris are emphasizing mindfulness meditation and all these things which are just just so so important for well-being mhm
1: so how do you stay sane because that's your job is to be in the thick of this. You're always writing articles about the chaotic state of Canada or the U S or politics. Uh, they're usually pretty heavy topics. It's stuff that fires me up and it's just me reading one article. It's not me doing hours of research to write an article. So, and it, also we were talking, um, there's, there's always like a, there's a fallout too, right? If you have the, all of these opinions that don't, align with the mass uh, majority of everyone else, especially at your age, I would imagine that that's also has to add another layer of stress to the situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Believe it or not, I'm actually not always super stressed out about politics or culture. I have a very good way of decompressing and just tuning out all the insanity all the hysteria in what's going on with politics and culture. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just kind of in my nature. Like, like I've certainly experienced a lot of, a lot of pushback for my views. And I recently had an article that you probably saw on, on cancel culture and mm-hmm. things that I experienced at my university. And
1: you got like kicked vocary. out of class, right?
0: Uh, no, 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 Not didn't get kicked out of class. It was a professor who, uh, who on, on Twitter I asked her if my views would be welcome in her class. And she's a, a very left leaning professor who uh, specializes in critical race theory, which is a topic I'm so tired of talking about and listening about. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you've seen on Twitter, like, critical race theory, critical race theory, CRT, CRT. It's like, stop it. It
1: <laughs> doesn't stop.
0: Doesn't stop. Uh, yeah, no, it doesn't, it doesn't stop. It's, uh, you know, Chris Ruffo works for city journal, the the guy who's always investigating different companies and schools who are implementing the the critical race theory agenda. It's like every week he's uncovering a new company, whether it's like Disney or it's like some engineering firm or a law firm or this elementary school that are implementing these racially divisive ideas. Um, So this professor, she was uh, a specialist in critical race theory. And I just asked if I was welcome in her class and, uh, And she said, uh, no, not interested in your, in your, uh, perspective. And, um, and then later there was some appears to be some kind of a misinterpretation on my part, which was totally innocent, but but what she really meant, which doesn't actually make her look any better, but what she really meant was, um, your views are not welcome in my think tank. She was making a youth think tank for young people to come together and, discuss and debate um, and figure out ways to address racism in our society. And so I was asking about her class, but she was kind of talking about her think tank. And Mm. so anyways, Uh, that's what she was saying. Your views are not welcome in this think tank and this group for young thinkers to discuss race issues. So, so, so that was just, um, it it was kind of unbelievable. It's like, imagine if a conservative professor, like imagine Jordan Peterson, you know, was asked by some young, Uh, left-wing student if 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 her perspective was welcome in his class you know her left-wing you know if she's a socialist or whatever and and if he said no you know your your perspective is not welcome in my class or my uh, after-school youth program or whatever and like there'd be total outrage over this kind of ideological intolerance but 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 unfortunately this is the norm it's it's intolerance coming from the left that is so widespread in our uh, universities
1: Hmm. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where you're, you want to stop talking about it. And part of me thinks if you do stop talking about it, maybe it'll go away. I don't know. Maybe that's me being super naive um, and just addressing it at a ground level and just being hyper vigilant about your kid's school and controlling what you can. Right? It kind of goes back to make your bed. So make your bed, uh, tackle it, at the level that you have influence because shouting into this void that is Twitter is not doing anything, unfortunately. It almost antagonizes the other side to just keep going. Have you ever done that exercise where you put your fist up to someone else's fist, but you don't really do anything and they automatically push back? It kind of shows the psycholo- psychological re- um, reflex that we have, which is if you're giving someone something to oppose, they're going to oppose it, whereas if you just let go, they stop. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. No, it's, yeah, you definitely have a point there. And yeah, being overly like pugnacious and trying to pick every fight and trying to always change people's minds is a recipe for just going insane because you can't convince everybody. You can't convince certain, like certain people, you just can't convince and you just have to let that go. Mm -hmm. Um, And that applies to like, yeah, that applies to everything, really, right? That's that's kind of a frame of mind that I've struggled with, especially is like trying to trying to change somebody else's mind about you know the perceptions of me and their opinions about me. Um, definitely in a political context, I've I've tried to do that, and and then you just got to kind of give up at a certain point. But but in other ways too, I've kind of struggled uh, with that kind of thing, and you just have to learn to. Except that certain people are just the the uh, the totality of all their influences and um, all the things that have in, that have shaped their perspective in a certain way. Where now this is what they believe about you or about this topic, and it is almost impossible to change their mind, given how deeply entrenched they are in their own mindset and their own ideology.
1: Yeah, and how do you know? How do you know that you're not in that same bucket? Do you know what I mean? I have to constantly check in with myself to make sure that I'm not going down a rabbit hole or that I'm not keeping, um, I guess, blind faith to any arguments, and that I remain level-headed with a lot of things because it's just—I feel like I'm just. A, I'm a big feeler. It's very easy for me to get passionate about something, to get very riled up about something. So I, I'm definitely one of those people that should be meditating more, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast. But I just never find the time or make – I should say make the time. Um, so I guess how do you – because you've been called a white supremacist, which I think is
0: uh hilarious. I've been called uh- – I've been called alt-right, which is, yeah, it's a euphemism for white supremacy, basically. It's kind like, of a nicer way of saying, you know, yeah, basically.
1: <laughs> which is like, what do you mean? So I someone did this to me recently, um, and I was like, well, I'm very little white, and I'm very much Asian, and very much Jewish, so what are you talking about? And then they were like, well, you've internalized the white patriarchy and you assume <laughs> your w- husband's white privilege. And I'm like, is that how it works? <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? No, it's,
0: yeah, yeah. No, the, yeah, I, I've written so much about the whole racial wokeness pandemic. It really is a pandemic, especially after George Floyd, where you saw a kind of religious awakening in our institutions with regards to, with regards to racial bias, racial justice, all these, uh, well-intentioned, um, goals that we had, visions that we had about how to construct society or how to, how to deal with certain entrenched, historically entrenched problems. But it's, it's led to only, um, really superficial, um, and, uh, I don't know if mundane is the right word, but uh, um, solutions to very complex problems, solutions that are very simplistic and often can be just totally counterproductive and like kind of like a very little small bandaid you put onto this huge gaping wound that's gushing with blood and you're trying to approach it with totally the wrong instrument, totally the wrong Uh, framework and and with race especially it's uh you know one of the things that i've realized especially over the past year as i've written more and more about this is the the hollowness of race or the the total superficiality of race like these these barriers that we have of black white asian Hispanic, Indian, you know, whatever, like these boundaries, like there really are no boundaries. It's really, there really is just truly there's one human race and, you know, we originated from Africa and we have all these different groups and the race has been shaped by environmental influence and, and climate differences. And certain people are dark and lighter and have different uh, physiological characteristics. And there's really no moral, um, valence to any given race or ethnicity, but, but that's kind of become uh, a trendy, a perversely trendy idea that a certain race has certain characteristics. We see that in the woke narratives all the time about things like objectivity, rationality, work ethic, personal responsibility, being time. Yeah, being yeah, being on being on time, which I'm often not good at, being things <laughs> that that are very white, that are uh, representations of whiteness or white supremacy, um, and uh, and then you see like you know obviously the victim narratives about people of color or specifically like Black Americans or Native Americans, people who have experienced oppression in the past, and it's just so um, it's so perverse because you're you're making people into not just representatives of their of their race, which they have no control over, but you're making them into hostages of history as well. Mm-hmm. Like you're white. This is what your ancestors did. Mm-hmm. Um even though there's often like a like a totally over a total simple oversimplif- a total oversimplification of like white being this like unified category of oppressiveness like in the past, whereas you know, you had certain white groups like the, like the Irish, Jews, um, people from Eastern Europe who were like oppressed and discriminated against in the U.S. You know, th- there's all sorts of complexity there. It's never just white against black. There's so much gray area with regards to racial uh, prejudice I- in history. But but right now, it's like like as you're talking about with yourself, you're you're part Asian. You said mm-hmm. white and Jewish. And it's like, and and so that that's an interesting kind of experience, right? Because you're like, is part of you Asian, is part of you uh, white and Jewish, but or is it rather just you you are in totality?
1: You're this, yeah, you, you, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. You're not, you're not, you know, a stratified person by race. You're just who you are. That and that's dependent on so many other cultural and familial and social and genetic and biological and and. sociocultural factors that make you, you, right. You're not a representative of your race and neither am I, but but that's kind of the direction we're headed in. And, and that's something that I've, I've had to uh, kind of deal with in a very, uh, in a very personal uh, difficult way, which, which I know we've privately talked a little bit. Uh, yeah.
1: Do you want to talk about about,
0: it? about, about that before? I don't know. It's, it's kind of a landmine. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Is it a landmine? <laughs> it's, so I feel, I feel like it'll it could be an interesting conversation. Sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I feel like I every episode I say something that might get me canceled. So I guess preface it with that. But when it comes to anyone of a specific race, um, we there's always that conver- at least especially with the industry I come from, you know, it, it can be a very racist industry, porn. I mean, it's it's clickbait. Oh really? Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's like How so. So, so f- specifically, when it comes to what they call interracial porn, which is usually a um, a very they and it can't be someone who looks mixed. Like they have to have very dark skin with a white girl, and usually she's tiny and weighs ninety pounds and is blonde. But that's like the ideal uh, recipe for them. But it'll be really derogatory. Like there's this one company and I mean, I wouldn't, I everyone called me racist because I didn't do any interracial scenes for a very long time. And I would joke and say, every scene I do is interracial because I'm Asian. So what are you talking about? Like you just have such a narrow definition of what that means, but all of the scenes, it's like these guys that they have talking like really, uh, like broken up English and wearing pants below their butt and wife beaters and smacking the girl around and she might be saying the N word. And it's really, really distasteful for a lack of better words. Um, so I never got into that. This one guy started a company called Blacked and I think he did it in such an elegant way that I was like, okay, I'll do that because I feel like that's a beautiful piece of, of work that I would be proud to do. I'm not going to I'm not going to do anything that I think is racist or derogatory. And that, unfortunately, is the mass um, quantity of that type of film. And I don't know why. Obviously, it's selling. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. But it's really unfortunate. So when stuff like that happens, um, some girls never do it, period. And they'll say it's because they're not attracted to black men. And then they get called racist. I'm like, well, I've been told a lot. And I again, I look – Mixed Asian people can usually tell I'm Asian. White people think I'm Hawaiian or something. They don't really know. And some people just think I'm white, right? Like, it depends on your perspective, I guess. But I have been told... Yeah, been I, told- I
0: personally, by the way, I thought you might have been, like, Hispanic. You might have part Hispanic background. I get that, to you, too. You know? Mm-mm.
1: Well, yeah. Spanish. Sp- yeah. There's some Spain Spanish in me, but not, not um like, oh, Latin America okay. or anything. So... Right,
0: yeah. Which is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it just shows how like I was saying, like how hollow racial identity is. Like some people think you're Hawaiian or Asian or white mm-hmm. Jewish, Hispanic. It's right. like ultimately th- those labels are totally meaningless to who you are as a person and what your values and morals and
1: it tells you nothing. And, yeah. And, and,
0: and what your curiosities are. Yeah. yeah it essentially course.
1: tells you nothing about who I am as a person. But, um, the point was obviously I'm, I'm not a purebred Japanese woman. <laughs> I'm there's a lot going on in here. So I, I don't look a hundred percent Asian, but even with my mixed um, aesthetic, I have been told by people that they don't find me attractive because they don't like Asian women. Like my eyes are too slanted, or I've been told that um, people aren't attracted. Oh, really? To me. Yeah, or uh, that they don't like me because, uh. of, cause especially when I had my dark, my natural dark hair, it, pers- it kind of accentuated a little bit. And I'm like, oh, you look too Asian like that. I'm just not into it, or I don't like your freckles. I don't see a difference because I think when it comes to attraction there's almost a lot of mystery that comes there. I can't tell you why I'm attracted to the things that I'm attracted to. I just am, right? And for some people I can't deny maybe they are aren't, they aren't attracted to a specific race and that I don't get it because I think there's a lot of variety within any race. Yeah. And that's kind of we, what we talked about is to just blanketly say i don't like asian women or i'm not attracted to black men it's just that's just a really vague statement I'm like maybe you just haven't met Mm -hmm. enough because sexy people exist in every single ethnicity um
0: yeah yeah but
1: yeah i don't think i don't think it inherently makes you racist i think it makes you maybe not so worldly or not necessarily very open-minded but i'm not going to be anyone to tell you what to do with your body you know what i mean like you get to have sex with whoever you want to have sex with and i'm not gonna voice my opinion on that period
0: Right, right. So, so you um, experiencing uh, well with just textbook racism, as you describe about looking Asian. Was that from uh, like directors in the porn industry or people like other? Actors? No, that that would be
1: like real or, life, like civilian life stuff. Um, what happened with like porn, re- though? Like
0: recently, like recently, or a while know, ago? No,
1: pro- man. When was my hair dark? Last, I would say the last time someone said it was probably five years ago or something i go in phases Mm -hmm. with my hair but yeah i I didn't take it offensively i'm like if you don't think i'm hot that's fine you know what i mean i'm not i'm not (laughs) for everybody i'm not trying to be for everybody and uh you're entitled to to do whatever or whoever you want to do um but i don't think i don't know do you think that that makes someone racist or do you think that that just makes them a little ignorant
0: yeah that's that's a very tough question to ask and it's is contingent on what you define as racism. Um, if you define racism as just impact or effect, which is more of a left-wing understanding of, of racism, like if some policy or some program has a racially disparate uh, impact, then that would be racist, even if the um, even if there are no racist attentions. Like if you, uh, like policing is just naturally racist because there is a uh, disproportionate number of black suspects who are arrested or shot by the police, um, which not to get into all of that, but which is a um, a primarily a product of differences in uh, in the commission of crime rather than the biases of, of police officers. So it's like. So different groups commit different rates of crime, and so they're arrested according to those rates of, of crime commission, uh, which happens to be, you know, it's it's uh, not politically correct, but uh, crime tends to be racially disproportionate. And anyway, that's a whole other discussion. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, but to your question, um, if having racial prefer- preferences is racist...
1: Right, because you've experienced uh, something like Yeah, this. yeah, yeah. And how did you take yeah. it? Were you... Was it more on a personal level? This sucks that this person doesn't want to be with me because of your blood, essentially, and they're just stroking a really broad brush. Or were you like, man, she might be a little racist?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's something that I think about a lot and, uh, I guess I don't have a clear answer, but, but I do have like a few thoughts. I think it's, you know, this person that I was with, I was very, very close to on a, on a deeper intellectual level. Like, like we just really connected and, and she was and, and is a a big fan of my work and, and what I do and, you know, my podcasts and my articles and, and all these things. And she was just deeply fascinated by me and uh and who i am as a person but when it comes to attraction she you know and, and i would never reveal her identity you mm-hmm. know, say her name or shame her in any way I, I, that's just not who i am that, that would just be um pernicious and immoral and unethical to do um no matter how hurt i am you know it's uh,
1: a true gentleman.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, revenge is a difficult, like, you know, many people have um, impulses towards revenge, but revenge often is never morally justified. You want to deal with even the most deranged, you know, criminals with a certain level of compassion and empathy um, and and deal with them accordingly. And, um, you know, Sam Harris talks about this a lot, um, I don't know if you're familiar with a lot of his work or if you've read Yeah,
1: I'm, a, his I'm actually a big fan. We disagree on plenty of topics, but a lot of the, what he says, I think, is, all, is also super brilliant, which, you know, I think I'd encourage more people to do that, is listen to people that you disagree with because it gets you to understand topics on such a broad level.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sam, he's had a great... Tremendous, like transformative impact on on my understanding of uh, just human emotions and day to day experience. And he has a meditation app, which I was gonna uh, ask if you you use
1: that the waking up app, yeah, amazing,
0: yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. We we could talk about that after if you want about meditation and and mental health. Um, that is a really, really important topic, but um, but yeah, like even with people who have done horrible, heinous things. This is something that uh, Sam addresses in uh, his book that I was just reading about the illusion of free will. Which uh, I'm not sure if I agree with him. I, I probably uh, don't agree with him about his uh, argument that free will is an illusion. Mm-hmm. And so he, in the book, he presents like every decision we make is driven by unconscious forces that are beyond our control. Um, and, and those unconscious forces are shaped by our genes, our environment, our upbringing. Um, cultural influences that we also have no control over. Like we didn't choose who our parents are, what our genes are, what kind of of school we'd go to. Like these things have all been chosen for us. And so we're just the totality of all these influences. And so we make decisions that we think are fully um, based on our um, psychological autonomy when in reality they're shaped by our unconscious mind. And, uh, again, I don't think I agree with the whole concept that free will is an illusion. Mm -hmm. Um, although, although that might just be like a natural disinclination to, um, believe that argument, because if you believe that, that can lead you to certain places that are very, um, demoralizing or uncomfortable. Like if you start to think like, oh, I don't have free will that can, kind of mess with your head a little bit although he argues it's it's been liberating for him to believe that like he he forgives people a lot easier and and on that end I I do agree with him in that um not not to say free will is an illusion that's still I guess I'm still thinking about that and um maybe I'll change my mind about that but at the very least he there's a compelling there's an understanding to be had that a person who makes a decision is not just fully exercising their, um, their total freedom in that moment to make that decision or to behave in a certain way, but that they are shaped by, like I was saying, all these prior influences that they have no control over. And so it's important to be compassionate Mm -hmm. about that. And and we can go to the most extreme example of like an ISIS terrorist, a suicide bomber, a serial killer, who committed all these things, you know, like an ISIS bomber was indoctrinated by the certain radical faith and they were brought up with these ideas. And so they were forced into making this decision and they had no other escape. If they escaped, they were a heretic and they were killed by this terrorist group. So they were, you know, indoctrinated by this dangerous ideology. And so they end up bombing all these people, raping these women, you know, and so really is it there, is it that person's control who's, dad was a terrorist and he became a terrorist as a result of cultural and religious upbringing. Um, but to tie it to, back to, you know, my experience, it's um, I've been dealing with it very compassionately mm-hmm. about this with this one girl who I was very connected with and still am connected with. And, and, and she just, she just deeply admires me as a, as a person and is interested in my work and, and still wants to be my friend and and and, and, I, and i kind of do as well but but her uh comments to me in the aftermath of me making like continuous uh, romantic gestures to her um which i was kind of following the same trap of like you know wanting like we were friends and then kind of wanting more mm-hmm. and her not being interested her kind of friend zoning me but mm-hmm. we were just like we had such a we like, we, we vibed so well and we had this deeper connection. Um, and there's so many other like layers to this of like, um, just with, you know, where I live, it's very hard in my experience to find like-minded people, especially like-minded young girls who are like interested in my work. Like I sometimes tell my friends jokingly that, that I have like, exponentially more support in like new york than in my own city like i have like so many people who like message me on twitter and like support my work like people from like like joe rogan messaging me or megan kelly or ben shapiro or like all these people which like feels great but like in my day-to-day experience in person it's very hard to find like-minded people here and it's sometimes it's it's very uh isolating to n- not find those kind of people, especially in the context of um, of, of, of uh, romance and dating, not being able to find somebody who uh, appreciates you as a person uh, or who understands kind of your intellectual curiosities. Um, that was really the spark of, of this friendship uh, that I had with this person um, was the intellectual curiosity. Like you were just very, very open and curious about very, very similar things, like mm-hmm. spiritual, intellectual, cultural, and so you know, I was making these repeated gestures of like wanting more, wanting this to be an actual relationship and and she had turned me down several times, but it was I kind of kept on coming back for reasons that are regrettable but also understandable and and so then she just kind of broke it to me um, about a month ago that that she's not attracted to, uh, to Indian or Asian men. Which was uh um the the immediate response that I had was was total silence. I just kind of left her on red for sh- several weeks, which
1: was go, totally that's awesome, yeah, good move
0: yeah, w- which well <laughs> I don't know if it's a good move now that i've I've changed course and I've decided to be friendly, which I don't know if I that's think right that's
1: fine, move, but move it, it's uh yeah. drawing some kind of line, you know what I mean. I think you can still be compassionate while recognizing that something is wrong. You know what I mean? And it goes back to your um, extremist example, which I feel – we see this a lot. We see it a lot in movies, and we see it a lot – I think – I feel like if you were to designate it to a party, it would be for left-leaning people where it's to kind of blur the lines of good and bad. And it's to do exactly what you did. It's walking it back. So you walk back – a terrorist from, you know, their inception and then all of these outside influences from people that are very influential, like a father figure, you know, uncles, all of these things. So you have to ask, did this person really have a choice or was this kind of written in the stars? And that's true. All of that's true. You can hold two thoughts at the same time. So you can recognize that certain things, unfortunately, certain people are doomed to a very dark fate, but it's also, you can have that compassion, you can hold that, and at the same time forgive them for what they do, no matter what that atrocity is, but still not abandoning the fact that this is an evil thing or this is a wrong thing. And I think right now, especially when it comes to film, and I see this in some of the kid movies that my son will watch, is they blur that line because they want you to empathize with that character, but then they they don't follow through with the, well, this is still wrong. and. That last bit is crucial. You can have compassion. You can empathize. You can forgive. I'm a huge proponent of all of those things. I believe in forgiveness for the the most heinous things because I think that helps alleviate any weight that you're going to carry from any wrongdoing that's inflicted on you. So even from a selfish standpoint, you need to forgive people. Oh, yeah. Um, Of course. But you have to follow through with that was wrong. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Trying to find that balance is really important, and in in my circumstance, it was it was um th- yeah that was very difficult because my immediate like psychological reaction to having heard that comment was kind of like a you know a gun pointed towards me, but the bullet like not actually hitting me, but actually like hitting the wall behind me um, because that. Comment about you know I'm not attracted to uh, this race was not something that I identified with at all. Like I don't really identify as you know Indian whatever that means, right? Like mm-hmm. I've I've even had certain Indian friends who tell me that I'm I'm too white <laughs> because for whatever reason I'm actually not that interested in like Indian festivals or Indian movies Bollywood into the whole cultural thing mm-hmm. or. Going to temples and participating in these uh, flamboyant religious or marriage ceremonies. It's just not something that I'm interested in. The movies and the music, especially, I just find really. I
1: feel like uh, I'm so dist- into all of that. I love oh, it. Oh, really? You are? Yeah. I think it's so beautiful. I'm like, I wish okay. we did more of that. That's so cool.
0: No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I prefer Nicki Minaj rapping about having a Minaj a toile. Like I you know, <laughs> like it's, it's, and that's actually been a big influence of mine is like hip hop culture and, and rap music. And that's something that I've, um, that's actually what inspired me to write about very morally complex issues mm-hmm. was, uh, listening to, I don't know if you're a fan of like Kendrick Lamar, Kanye West, Tyler, the creator,
1: love Kanye. All those kind of
0: rappers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, uh, so, so when she uh, said that, yeah, it was like um, this uh, comment about not being attracted to this race was kind of a misnomer because I don't really identify with this identity, but rather this identity has just been given to me by birth, mm-hmm. rather than by choice. Mm-hmm. And so, it's it's uh, just. Um, not so it was kind of like not being able to grapple with something that was very inappropriate and hurtful to say because it didn't seem like i was directly attacked for anything that i have any control over mm-hmm. right like if mm-hmm. if it was like hey you're too you know you're very impulsive and you're selfish like that's why i i just can't be in a relationship with you or you know, you're not motivated enough or you're too clingy and, and you're too emotional or you're too, uh, you know, you sleep around with other women. You know, that's why I don't want to be with you. Like, like those are all things that you can control
1: mm-hmm. and
0: change and, and apologize for and uh, um, um, redeem yourself on, but you can't apologize for being born with a certain skin color or try to change that in any way. That's just a, that's just an immutable inflexible part of your identity which just makes the whole situation very tragic I guess is like this thing that I'm not able to control is getting in the way of somebody who does deeply appreciate me for who I am but can't be romantically attracted to me for this thing that that is um, something that I've no control over at all.
1: So are you one of those people that can Find yourself attracted to somebody simply based off of, we'll say, a spiritual connection or an intellectual connection, like those things can override the physical, the physicality of a person, or is that still a very important piece of that that puzzle? Because I know people that can, right? They could be with anybody as long as there's a connection. I'm not one of those people. I need the whole pie. You know what I mean? And again, I can't tell you why I'm attracted to certain people. It just is. And while it sucks and I, I guess I really hate her delivery on everything, um, it's like, well, she can't also change who she's attracted to. Is That's my belief. I know some people would disagree um, and they would say that that's shallow and that that doesn't matter. But um, whatever means that you use to, f- to achieve attraction is what it is. And you need to be attracted to not even on a physical level. You just like have to want to physically be with that person for romantic love to flourish.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you were asking about, um, could I date somebody just based on my uh, intellectual or cultural connection with them and potentially putting physical attraction to the side or beauty to the side. That was your question, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, no, the answer is no. Um, For obvious reasons. Um, It's it's very hard to isolate like one thing. Um, You know, in politics it's, it's relatively easier. Like people talk about being a single issue voter, Mm -hmm. where if you, if you really care about immigration and what's happening with the crisis at the Southern border with, um, all these caravans coming in and just the, the, the border being porous and they're not being a definitive set of criteria of who we let in, who we don't let in. And you want to just base your vote on just that issue alone. That that's, you know, that's understandable. And you can do that. You can vote Biden Republican or Democrat, but with, but with uh, dating and finding a partner, it's, you, you can't just be a single issue voter. You can't be a single issue, uh, a single characteristic, um, person, you, you have to look at the the person in in uh, totality of who they are um, culturally, socially, and their personality, and, and how they look. Obviously, um, I guess where I guess where I'm kind of unique is I think I would value more of a spiritual or intellectual connection than many other people would. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of my a lot of my peers. Uh, my male peers who perhaps wouldn't look for those things as much as I would. Mm-hmm. For them, it would be like, you know, is she good looking? Is she cute? Is she pretty and beautiful? Does and, she have and an OnlyFans? <laughs> does she have an OnlyFans? Uh, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> well, that's absolutely going to be some yeah. kind of uh, marker moving forward, at least in the States. It's like if that's right. something that bothers you, you're going to have to get that out on day yeah. one because people fall into one of two camps with that. There's a lot of leading right, yeah. in this pandemic that started an OnlyFans account.
0: Right. Yeah, and, and I have an interesting story for you about that, relating to you and a friend and a weird connection, which is very, very weird. Oh, you tell. But <laughs> well, let me finish what I'm saying first. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I think I I look for a an intellectual connection with somebody before being able to commit to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's just like a a temporary for fun, transient type of, uh, exciting thing, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's just a little spark, it's fine. And I've kind of been down that road, but in terms of having a fulfilling relationship to me, the, the inside really, really matters a lot about what the person, um, how, I think one of the um, traits would be like, how much does a person really care about improving their life, their life and the lives of others? How much are they committed to self actual, self actualization and spiritual growth? And if, and if the answer to that is like, they don't care, all they want is to, you know, just go to school and, you know, be an academic superstar and do that or be like, you know, person who just uh, trying to satisfy their hedonistic impulses and drinking and smoking. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. that demographic too, in my age group, which is, uh, um, which is very problematic. And, and I don't really connect with those kind of people, especially the people who are into just kind of partying and just working and sleeping, mm-hmm. and just kind of living a very animalistic, mundane, hedonistic lifestyle without any appreciation for human consciousness and, what makes us unique and how to uh, pursue deeper spiritual aspirations. I think that's, that's a very important thing to me is like how much does this person want to grow spiritually and how much they want to explore different realms of, of consciousness of uh, human behavior and ethical engagement with the world.
1: No, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. It's hard to, to take a relationship to the next level if you don't have all of those other things in alignment. Otherwise, I mean, unless you have someone who's at your level and you know, you both want to just coast together. But I think if you're an ambitious person that values growth and values spirituality that you have to be able to identify if this person is just for a season or if they are, you know, marriage material. And I think, I mean, I've always been pretty good at that. I, I, probably I tend to live in the future. So when I was dating, I would be like, "Well, what do you think about kids? And how do you feel about marriage? And what state do you like? I would be just jumping ahead to what, all of these things that were important to me. And some guys would be like, she's crazy. I'm not doing this. I was like, well, if you don't want kids, I need to know that. You know what I mean? That's that's a deal breaker for me. Um, but a lot of people don't want to have that conversation because they're like, well, he's so hot or she's so hot. I don't want to ruin it with all of this heavy stuff that's so far down the road. Um and again, if you guys don't agree, that's fine if you just know that that person's for a season, but you have to invest in that person differently then.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. But yeah, I mean, the, the tricky thing then is, is is what I just experienced. And that's so demoralizing. It's like when you have that connection that you're looking for, that you've been looking for your entire life, or, or at least, you know... Uh, like, I've always been very intellectually curious, just super, super curious about the world, about mm-hmm. politics, culture, and especially human psychology. Uh, that's definitely been a big interest of mine. And so finding this person was like, oh, my God, like, it was part of it was just like confidence boost, too. It was like, oh, my gosh, like, I can, in the way I'm talking to you now about my views and what I've experienced, like, this person is actually interested in those things, it's like wow, like that's that's amazing, mm-hmm. and and especially amazing if you've never experienced that before, or if you kind of live in an area um, where I don't know how generalizable this would be, but like in my school, there weren't a lot of people that were very intellectually curious the way I was. Again, not mistaking intelligence for intellectual curiosity. Like there were so many other females and males that were so much more intelligent than I was, and straight A students. I was never. I I was fairly smart in, like, math and English and and history and stuff like that. But I was never an academic superstar by any stretch. But I was always super, super curious and open to new experiences and always interested in spiritual growth. And so finding this person last year, um, you know, we first connected over being, like, huge Jordan Peterson fans. Like, Mm -hmm. just, like, total fans of his work and his writing and his lectures um and we we really connected on that and then and then that became um uh, a gateway into understanding each other spiritually and intellectually having discussions about spirituality and consciousness and um and then you know developing that that close bond, even if we didn't really like hang out for like several months or a few years, it, it was relatively brief. But we had, you know, we vibed so well together, and then for this immutable difference to be the barrier for us to be together was so difficult to deal with. And um, like I was saying earlier, like it was, it, you know, the insult, you know, if you want to call it an insult, or at least at the very least, an insensitive comment you know, it didn't hit me directly. It, it was um, something where it was like, oh, like, this is me, like, I'm, I'm actually Indian. Like, like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be Indian or not Indian? And what does it mean to identify one way or, uh, or the other? And so, you know, for a little while, it was like, oh, this isn't really an insult, you know, because I'm not responsible for being Indian or having this um, uh, this um, kind of appearance, and, uh, and, and but then afterwards it was like um, afterwards I kind of had a bit of a, a spiritual reckoning, maybe you could call it, um, where mm-hmm. I, I was meditating a lot afterwards because <laughs> I'm, I'm a person that ruminates a lot about things, like I, I overthink, Same. like. Up until I become insane, it's not a characteristic that's very common in other people that I found. Like other some other people, they're. It's not that they don't experience negative emotion, but they're much they're much better at letting go of things very quickly. Mm-hmm. Where something happens to me, it just like becomes like a parasite in my mind, and it controls everything else, and I'm unable to pay attention to other things without without this thing infringing on my Mm well-being. And so I was just like thinking over and over about this. And, um, there was like one night where I woke up and and, like, I just, I just, I couldn't sleep for a bit. And I was kind of wondering, like, is this what this person like said to me? Like, is this what I, is this what I experienced? Like, is this true? Or was this just like a weird nightmare or something? But it's like, no, this is true. Um, but after that I've been, you know, meditating, a lot and well we can get into meditation and stuff if you want. But yeah, I don't know if you wanna jump in with anything.
1: No, I mean it totally sucks. And I've I've been there to some to some extent. Um is this like your first serious heartbreak? Yeah. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah, no.
0: Um mm-hmm. it definitely had like a lot of crushes before and various temporary things here and there, transient little relationships, um, whatever you want to call it. But, but this, yeah, this was the first major one because mm-hmm. it was somebody that I connect with on a deeply spiritual and kind of intellectual level. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You just, I guess my advice would be that you should just look at it from like a state of more of abundance than scarcity. And I know it sucks, especially if you're you're like, well i'm I'm not surrounded. I'm not in a place where I'm surrounded by a lot of people that are like minded or curious or share my values, especially at this age. and I totally feel you i it's hard to find anyone like you we were saying that has any kind of seriousness to their to their life, to their work ethic. um a lot of people are just coasting especially while you're in college. so it's just I believe everything happens for a reason and I think.
0: You're Mm, probably gonna have a
1: lot more heartbreaks, and you know this was—it's probably a lesson. And if it's your first one, it's gonna leave a scar. The first one never really um, goes away, like that sting, I guess. But I'm sure there's a purpose for it, and it's cool that you said like you're—you're still friendly with her. Um, I feel like that'd be really hard for me. Someone was like, basically, I don't like your, your, I don't like your face or I don't like your skin, but we can still be friends. Like, oh, okay.
0: Yeah. 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 I know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: On paper, that sounds like traumatizing, but I, yeah, maybe I'm kind of proud of myself in a way that I've, I haven't dealt with it in a bitter, um, obsessive way, at least explicitly to her. Mm -hmm. Like I, I never like shamed her or you know i'm kind of like you know she'll realize this you know in um in the future if she hasn't already and there's not much i can do to change her mind it, it was kind of like a j- just kind of like let nature do, do what it wants to do and uh probably was just like hopeless like there's nothing you can say to that comment afterwards right it's mm-hmm. like well, you're a horrible person John- you, you're you know Sorry, go ahead. No,
1: it's that have you read the four agreements by uh Don Miguel Ruiz, I think. One no. of the rules is don't take it personal. So it's basically four rules to kind of live by. And one of them is don't take it personal. And that's for me, that's one of the hardest things that I struggle with on a daily basis because especially with something like that, because you like, know, well, how do I not take it personal? It directly has to do with me and it doesn't. And I'm um, it never does right and then also if you're trying to use a metric for your success is someone else's acceptance of view or anything that's external, you're kind of setting your, yourself up for failure. so you have to ask in any given situation what can I control like what can what are the absolute things that I can control and then measure your success and happiness based off of that. So if it's someone else's acceptance of you or someone else's interpretation of you or how they receive your message um, whatever it is, you, that's out of your control, so you just need to scrap that immediately, right? It's not how many likes do I get. It's not did I convert someone to my to my way of thinking. It's not did I right, It has to all be internal. And then that's a lot easier because if you're like, well, I, I did this podcast episode. I'm really proud of it. And um, I went on YouTube and it's a thousand dislikes and all of these horrible comments, I feel like a failure Well that can't be your measure of success because you're not in control of anybody else.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's it's always important to have a proactive mindset when dealing with difficult things in life, Mm -hmm. especially the kind of thing that I uh, went through and 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 trying to find the positive in in that circumstance. Which, which, yeah, like you were saying, everything happens for a reason. It's a it's a cliche. It's kind of a platitudinal statement, but it's it's true. You know, things happen a certain way and they teach you certain things as much as they sting at the time they reveal certain parts of yourself or parts of uh, human consciousness or human behavior that you may have not acknowledged before. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, at at the very least, on at least a superficial level, at, at least I recognize like, oh, there are actually girls, there are people out there who are interested in my work you know, I, I, I've i come across one, you know, maybe when I, you know, my dream is to move to New York at some point, New York City. Um, mm-hmm. I actually have a lot of friends there that, that I've connected over with uh, remotely um, young, like females, males, older people that are like fans of my work. I think probably because I write for the New York Post mostly. And so I have mm-hmm. a lot of people there who are probably, well, I, I know there are a lot of people there who are always reading my work and are, you know, kind of fans or whatever. Um, whereas here it's, it's a bit different, but at the very least, you know, coming away from this experience, you know, I have a little bit of hope of, uh, in the future, I will find somebody who does appreciate me in the same way this girl did, but Mm -hmm. is willing to, um, look, is willing to appreciate me for who I am on a much deeper level, or, or at least not let my or at least, you know, appreciate me for my appearance as well and mm-hmm. not just my, um, my interests and that kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super important yeah. when you're young, you want to be with someone that wants to, you know, jump your bones. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise it's not going to, it's not going to be good for anybody. Then you just have a roommate or a friend, you know what I mean? So you yeah, have yeah. to have, you have to have that spark. So I say her loss. I mean, I totally agree. Yeah. You don't find young, am- ambitious people. And if you have a connection no. with them, I think that you fucking take that opportunity, sister. But it's, you know, it's <laughs> not meant to be. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: know, yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of my friends said that, like, um, and, and I don't agree with this, but, like, they're like, you know, Rav, like, you're on this path and you're super successful and ambitious and mm-hmm. you're probably, like, in five years, you're probably going to be, like, Ten times more successful and obviously, like you know, rich and you know, doing well. Hopefully, move to a big city and all that. And, mm-hmm. and, and you and know, then those- all of a
1: sudden, she's going to be like, "Hey, Rab, <laughs> you know what? I really yeah. have this thing for yeah. Indian men." <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I try not to think of it uh, that way. Um, um, well, the reality is, is you know, you've had Gad Sad on your podcast, mm-hmm. Evolutionary psychologist and he writes so much about this about you know what drives humans to become attracted to other humans like what are you know what are the biological dispositions we have and it just happens to be a biological reality that you know men who are successful and ambitious and show um, promise intellectual promise financial promise who are driven to do um, important things in the world that that is a very very attractive thing for for women of all ages, right? That, that is something that that women, that that is something that women um, look for. And so, you know, I guess I'm not uh, super worried about the future. And I I think that would obviously help being somebody who's very ambitious and finding other ambitious women out there. But uh, yeah, I I think for now, this was a, a good learning experience, I guess. And, yeah i mean it it is still very difficult because it's <laughs> it's it drives me a little crazy, but it's kind of like I'm kind of learning to I'm kind of learning to detach from it a little bit because she you know she still really wants to be friends and i I kind of do a little bit although she, she like she really really wants to be friends and she's like reached out like again like you know let's go out for coffee, let's hang out, mm-hmm. you know you're so interesting. Um, and you know, she's encouraging me to take this personality test, um, that, you know, she's very interested in my personality and I'm interested in hers too. Um, so we're still kind of like going in circles a little bit. So that's, that, that's, yeah, that, that's very tough to, uh, get over, um, that kind of thing, knowing that you, you just can't really be friends if there is that difference in, uh, in intention. Oh, I people. totally
1: agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's really tough to. You can't really put that genie back in the bottle, as they say. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I guess, does she is she one of those people that was there ever a gray area? I say this because I know a lot of young men that find themselves in a very similar situation, and they try to take the relationship to the next level, and then the girls will never mind, but then sends all these mixed messages. Um, like having you do boyfriend duties but without having that relationship and yeah. that's so unfair. And I think it's so important yeah. to set those boundaries because I yeah. just that's fucked up.
0: Yeah. No, I'm I'm not blameless there on, on that part. There are certain missteps, misinterpretations that I like definitely made. Um, or not even misinterpretations, but like like she had she had laid boundaries Very clearly, like when she, uh, when we were, um, you know, we stopped talking for a bit, then we were talking again. She reached out in like May of this year, April, and then she said, like, you know, I only want to be friends. And uh, this was after like several times of like, you know, friend zoning, not friend zoning. This very gray area that we were in. Uh So she laid down these, she laid down these boundaries, and and then I was like, okay, you know, I can't really. Pursue this because I have different intentions in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so she was right in, in laying down those boundaries. But then the problem became more so her; it was definitely her fault. And afterwards, and, and also mine, because she was asking to hang out consistently, and I was kind of, I was kind of like, yeah, 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 sure, we can hang out, we can go for coffee. Mm-hmm. And then, and then she kept on asking and asking, like every couple of weeks, because she was, you know, she, she also. Can't really find other like-minded, intellectually curious guys. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like even, and this is very kind of hurtful too. Is like when you know we've we've talked a bit, and she's told me how like other guys she dates they're boring compared to me, and but but they're hot, so she can be with them. And that, that's that, that's kind of what she looks for. But like she's like, no, Rav, you're interesting. Take this personality test. You're cool. You know. I'm interested in you as a person, but yeah, you know, for dating, I want the hot, muscular white guy with a big car, or, you know, whatever it is that you, she prioritizes in that way. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, yeah, so she kept on asking and asking to hang out. And then I made the fundamental m- misinterpretation, or at least I was kind of pursuing the fantasy in my mind of like, okay, I think I can convince her to like me. I, th- I think I can convince her to be romantically interested because she was so desperately asking to hang out and be friends and spend time with each other. Um, but I, I just, uh, I, I kept on delaying it for a while and then, and then I mistook her just constant advances to hang out as like, Oh, maybe she likes me more. And Then I kind of made some very explicit gestures which again, th- that is her fault again, because I was making it very, very clear that I am interested in her, and she can't be naive to think those certain signals I was sending were totally platonic. But but I think she was like, you know, I still like I really want to be friends with this guy, and I'm willing to you know well, we're let him kind of. Um. Oh gosh, is this is this a personal therapy session, or is yeah. this going to be like watched by people on YouTube? Oh. <laughs> both (laughs) that's funny um uh it was yeah just a number of signals of like um yeah i don't know if i want to be too specific because this is public i guess but but yeah no but yeah no there were very very clear signals and certain gestures i was making that were uh hinting towards that for sure but but i think in her mind she just so desperately was interested in me as a person and as somebody to like uh, I don't know if I want to use the word teach, but like uh, kind of um, share, you know, my perspective and my knowledge and my diverse interests and my research and, and uh, all my deep spiritual experiences and interests. Like she was so interested in that, that she was willing to overlook a very explicit message on my part that I wanted more. And then of course I, you know, made the mistake of mistake of, overlooking her very explicit message that she wants to be friends and so it just kind of exploded and then she said this thing um and so now we're still kind of in this area where you know i'm i'm kind of like saying you know i'm interested in kind of hanging out and and she definitely wants to hang out but but i i know like i've even told her like yeah you know we should maybe hang out and she really really wants to hang out but but i know that that would just be so demoralizing for me to like hang out with her and like temporarily enjoy her company and have deep discussions. But then for the whole time for me to think in my head, like, Oh, this is just platonic. I can't get more because of my skin color. Like having that idea in my head would destroy the whole dynamic we had, especially the dynamic of like trying to impress her a little bit, which is kind of our initial spark is like through deep discussions, like Mm -hmm. impressing her with my, you know, intellectual insights or my spiritual insights. And so now it just kind of felt like, you know, what am I, you know, what am I doing this for? You know, what's the point if she views me in this very distorted racialized way, which is just so hurtful. Yeah. I would kind of nip
1: that relationship in the, in the bud if i if i were you i think it's yeah. i think men and women having friendships is already really complicated i'm not saying it's impossible but it's definitely at least in my experience more often than not somebody gets feelings and then if those are not reciprocated then you can't really go back it's never that pure friendship that it was before and i find like the healthiest ones are like, for example, all of my guy friends are my husband's best friends, right, that he grew up with. So they're not really my friends per se, right? Like we are friends, but there's that buffer. Do you know what I mean? Um, and especially when you're younger, it's really hard. You have all those hormones going and, you know, it's just difficult. Again, not impossible, but um, – if one person, like you said, if you have different intentions going in, it's really hard to maintain that pure friendship relationship moving forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, we should probably hit on uh, mindfulness, mental health stuff. I know you kind of wanted to touch on that if you. If you sure, go there a little yeah.
1: Bit. So before we get into that, I didn't want to forget to remind you, I want to hear this um, OnlyFans that. Oh. <laughs> yeah and by the way I was I know when we first were talking to you, you were you were nervous to come on because of who I was. Yeah. was totally understandable um yeah yeah you know what I mean but it goes back to not not broadly brushing anybody you know what I mean
0: mm. which which is why I'm here um,
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah when I first looked into you a little bit I was like oh is this person <laughs> who I think they are um yeah and I still would have certain moral reservations maybe about mm-hmm. that, that whole industry
1: potentially, mm-hmm.
0: which I think are kind of justified. And yeah, that's a whole other discussion. Maybe we shouldn't open up here because I know we're limited <laughs> on time. And, but, but, mm-hmm. th- but that is that, that would be an interesting discussion to have. Um, but, but for me, it comes down to the individual level, right? It's not about, you know, like we're talking about race earlier, about like I'm not attracted to this race or I don't like this type of person. So for me it was like initially it was like, oh, like I'm not sure about you and about like your work and stuff. Um, especially because like I grew up in a kind of a strict kind of, you know spiritual environment or well it's it's complicated, but I, I was kind of um, brought up in a religious environment, but then mm-hmm. my parents kind of became less religious, and so it was just kind of believe whatever you want to believe type thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, uh, but then I I think I spoke to uh, Michaela Peterson, who's a good friend of mine. Has she been on your show, or have you been on her show?
1: No, I feel like there was some kind – Initially, we were both supposed to do each other's show, um, and then it got rescheduled a bunch of times, and I feel like someone got in her ear and told her that I was not a good look for her brand or something, and that is what it is. But yeah, someone – Whether it was her coming to this realization or daddy or something, but someone shut it down.
0: Really? Really? Yeah, yeah that, that doesn't seem like her because she, she's very open-minded she's not very shes I not strict so- or ideological like she's very open to like talking to whoever
1: so, yeah so, I don't know,
0: I don't know maybe there's some kind of miscommunication
1: something happened maybe I,
0: maybe I should reach out to her maybe you'll yeah if you want Um, it's it's
1: it's curious i um i messaged her i was like is this what's going on because you can just tell me like i'm not thin-skinned it's fine i just like honesty and transparency that's really important yeah um right i wasn't getting that so we'll see
0: yeah um but yeah, yeah yeah so yeah i reached out to her and i i don't know why i reached out to her about this um but yeah i did and then she told me that, yeah, like she's a cool person and she's into like intellectual dark web stuff and, um, you know, you should definitely talk to her rap, something like that. She said to me over Instagram and I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, that's fine. And then I saw Gad Sat on your podcast and was it Colin Wright on your mm-hmm. podcast? Colin's great. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's awesome. And he recently got his, uh, Joe Rogan appearance, which is huge, which mm-hmm. I, was, I was talking to him about that. He was, uh, he was not supposed to be on the podcast he, the I think it was the, um the founding editor of Colette magazine where he edits that Claire mm-hmm. uh, Layman. She was supposed to be on, but she's in Australia and so she couldn't come on. And so he was in the States. He's their U S editor. And so mm-hmm. he got the opportunity to go on Rogan like last minute. And that, that was super, super, super cool. that he got the opportunity.
1: Oh, totally. To do He's doing really important work. So anytime yeah. time I see someone like that, yeah. that's getting, uh, getting yeah. exposed to that kind of, uh, volume. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, Yeah, so so then, yeah, I talked to Michaela and then I was like, yeah, like, whatever. Like, I'll, I'm interested in this person. Then I kind of looked into you more and watched your podcast, and then that was fine. Um, regarding the, uh, the anecdote with the friend, um, I mentioned to a friend that I was going to do your show and he had watched some of your stuff before. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) And, um, to put it euphemistically, he was very involved and obsessed with you a little bit (laughs) (laughs) and had, uh, um, how do I say this in a uh, more intellectual manner? <laughs> he had been uh, uh, engaged in self-gratification using you. Uh-huh. There you go. Mm-hmm. Th- that's my best way of saying it. <laughs>
1: uh, okay. Yeah, that's funny. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that, that was kind of weird. And then it was like, he's like, oh, you're going to her podcast? And I was like, yeah. And then he's like, oh, that's cool. And he's like, oh, she's super hot and cute. And <laughs> like, "Ah." Oh her husband's so lucky to have her and like oh what would it be like to like be with her that's
1: so funny and i was
0: like yeah, i was like i did not want to hear this before i talked to her you know that's kind of weird but mm-hmm.
1: yeah gad made a joke funny. and he was like i i had to do my research and i was like oh my god
0: <laughs> that's funny uh,
1: yeah i mean my i i very intentionally keep my twitter as uh like PG, Pristine. yeah, PG. as possible yeah. because I have super, what I, you know, people that I put on pedestals that follow me. And like, I don't need a neuroscientist to see my butt. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> let's be respectable here. People hey, can find me. He, he hey,
0: he might like, he might be single and he might like your butt. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's true too. Maybe, maybe I'm not capitalizing on an opportunity here.
0: Yeah, yeah. You're just using capitalism to your benefit by doing these things and, you know?
1: Exactly. Do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I,
0: I, still, I, yeah, I still have my moral reservations about that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I am more open-minded than a lot of religious people, but mm-hmm. I, I kind of um, – I, I guess I could see just on a purely secular level too. I think – was it Melissa Chen that you had this little Twitter back and forth with about this topic recently? I think I saw that where I was, I was kind of agreeing with her a little bit recently. Oh, yeah. Before.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing just, is, she's it, a good he's friend. really yeah. good friends. Yeah. She's really good friends with a bunch of people in the industry. So, like, it doesn't. Oh, really? make, okay. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It yeah. ju- it doesn't okay. make sense. And the problem with a morality argument is morality is subjective. There's that kind of funny little joke that uh, cannibalism or what eating people is only wrong if you're not a can if you're not a cannibal, right? So right. Everything is subjective, so you can't – and that's what I love about Shapiro is he doesn't use his religious argument for anyone if he's not with with like-minded people because you're not – the foundation isn't agreed upon. And he's so intelligent that that doesn't throw him off. He can keep going, right? So it's to say – And he kind of has a very libertarian stance on it, which is what he personally disagrees with it based off of his morals and that's fine, but he doesn't think it's necessarily something that the government should be regulating or censoring. And I totally respect that. I think individuality and we all, the way that we're brought up and our spiritual experiences and the way that we interpret things even outside of this world, this life is going to impact how you look at something. And to me, my take is sex can be whatever you want it to be. I do think that s- a sex with the right person can be this transcendent experience and can be super spiritual and sensual and and be love. It can be this big beautiful thing, but I also think that it can be something that's like really hot, really fun and that's all it is. It's just you know, leave yeah, it where yeah. it's at. And I think both things are are fine. I think it's so important to recognize the difference between them. So I think a lot of people that have the more the moral issue with it, it's like, well that's on you, right? That's maybe not for your Mm -hmm. house and not your relationships. And I respect that. But to say something is objectively wrong or it's the reason that society is on its downfall, which is kind of what Chen was leading to is, you know, the degradation of society and people's, that's a reach. That's a fucking huge reach. Because if you want to just look at statistics, I mean, since the height of internet porn, like rape and abuse against women has -hmm. gone down almost 80%. Like, this is something you can look up. And obviously, if you know statistics, you can't say cause and effect, but you can absolutely say that there's a correlation happening when you look at this data. Right, right. Unless unless there's some other
0: major – yeah, yeah. Unless there's some other major factor, which I can't think of, but I'm sure you've done the research. Well, in a lot of the countries
1: that legalize it, too, it it goes down. So it it does hold water. Mm -hmm. Interesting.
0: Very interesting. Yeah, no, I I fully – support have no issues with like sexual exploration you know like 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 i have certain christian friends who are very committed to like finding one person having sex with them and being with them for the rest of their life whereas i'm I'm far more open to exploring even if it's like temporary if it's like a one-week thing or Mm -hmm. you know you go out like i've you know i have a friend who you know travels a lot and goes to different countries and has these romantic excursions you could say little experiences mm-hmm. with people mm-hmm. and it's it's temper, it's fun like that's that's kind of exciting right is to mm-hmm. you know not to um i guess some people have a very uh, sacred view about sex but it's, it's similar to like you know you don't just want kind of one variety of one thing you, you want different experiences to know what, you, what like, you like ultimately and then not to be you know stuck with this one person since you were 25 and then because think, you
1: gave something away, you can never get back. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's dangerous. That's super dangerous. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, but yeah. I mean, but at the same time though, like I, I know people who married young Christian oriented people and, and they're very, very happy with them. And if, if that's what their moral compass um, wants them to do, then I, I totally respect that. And I think there's a certain value in that. Um, I think with my with any kind of objection that I would have about the porn industry would be about kind of, um, uh, gratifying yourself by watching and potentially robbing yourself of actually getting out and having those real experiences. Like I I know certain friends who, you know, they're self gratifying and they're doing these things and they're just watching and watching, and that's how they experience this pleasure and and that can be a good thing in the sense that if they're just always depressed or frustrated and they don't have that outlet, then you know that kind of relieves them of that impulsive you know sexual desire, especially when you're a young man or, or a young girl too um, but but then at the same time, I see certain friends and and I, I'm very fortunate or, or happy or maybe proud of myself that I haven't developed a lot of those addictive habits, but, but I definitely know certain friends and I'm a, I do want to hear your thoughts about this, where they're just, you know, feeding this addiction cycle where they're just watching, watching and gratifying themselves without um, actually pursuing meaningful relationships outside of that, because they, they just kind of feel you know relieved what you know, when they, Um, or by themselves and do this and then they don't feel the need to go out and pursue uh, fulfilling relationships or or at least they're less kind of uh, inclined to because they've been given this very easy um, way of, of just accessing the internet and just clicking a couple of buttons and there you go that's their pleasure rather than going out and and um going on dating apps or meeting new people and socializing and getting to know people and, and learning about them and actually having real human conversations.
1: I think any, when it comes to anything, I mean anything, if you, if you indulge in that particular thing in excess, that's a problem, right? You can drink too much water and kill yourself and dehydrate yourself. That's a real thing. You can, um, I can eat a cheeseburger and go have ice cream, and that's not going to wreck my life. But for some people, that might right if they have a problem with eating and with with um, with indulgence, and if they're severely over uh, overweight or obese, that's going to really throw them off track. So it all depends on the individual and you know personal responsibility when it comes to modulating how much of anything that you take whether it's you're glued to your cell phone for 12 hours a day and like and you're shutting off the entire outside world because all you want to do is sit on Twitter and Instagram i don't think that that's any different than scrolling through a porn site because you're both things you're focused on something that's um, synthetic and avoiding the outside world which is which is real and you're missing out on that real human connection i think when it comes to, quote unquote, porn addiction, because I haven't read anything compelling that even suggests that it exists, right? And I talked to Dr. Deborah So about it, who's a sex researcher. She says it's not real. Essentially, when you look at the neurotransmitters, when it comes to these addictions that are, um, like we'll say new addictions, whether it's social media, cell phone, porn, gambling, all of these things, it almost looks like a habit. So it's essentially a habit, right? It's a maladaptive habit. So if you were to learn basketball and you were to practice every single day at, at the same time for the same amount of time and that became um, habitual, like that pathway would replicate someone who had a porn addiction. So it's just a really bad habit essentially. The thing that separates an addiction is needing um, needing more of like the dosage, right? Like you you start to – I'm losing my, um, my words. Like your tolerance – Keeps going up, right? Okay. And that's a sign of an addiction that doesn't happen with porn. And some people have tried to, um, I would say, maliciously misinterpret certain certain data or just make up mm-hmm. data that says that you know, you mm-hmm. if you keep watching, it escalates, it escalates. That's not true, mm-hmm. and it's been debunked a bunch of times. So it's not an addiction, or at least mm-hmm. as as I've been told, it's not an addiction. Um, It's not to say people don't suffer from it, but I would have to say you would have to look at the individual level. Like, does this person have antisocial tendencies? Um, Are they Uh maybe a little bit socially awkward anyways? And this is just the tool that they're using. And let's say the Internet wasn't invented yet. They might have found something else that would have taken them out of having to interact with society anyways. Right, so it's kind of a chicken and Mm. egg situation. Um, Sure. And then for some people, especially young men, when you do have, you know, like all of those hormones, and you're getting random boners, and you don't know why, and you don't want that to happen (laughs) on a date, uh, and you're super nervous, I think that self gratifying before could be. those those
0: suck. By the way, sorry. (laughs) I've heard those suck.
1: suck. (laughs) I didn't even know it was a thing until my husband told me about his younger years, and no one warned him about it or told him what to do with it. So I think if you look at it pragmatically, it's like, okay, I can relieve myself in a healthy way, right? Consuming content, not involving anyone Mm -hmm. else. I'm not cheating on anybody. Mm -hmm. That way I'm calm. I can get my shit together and then I can go on this date and actually engage Mm. and actually be into it instead of worrying about my hormones and what's going on. You know what I mean? I think, um, yeah, there's a lot of benefit to it. So it all comes down to personal accountability, where your biology falls. um, Mm -hmm and obviously if you're morally okay with it, which not everyone is.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's – yeah, your points are very well taken. Yeah, I I like what you're saying. Um, I've kind of immersed in this – Like, I I agree with you because I I see the parallels with – a while ago, like when I started first writing about uh, hip-hop music, that was actually my entry point into journalism. I used to be a music journalist writing about – Rap lyrics and like hip hop music scene, which I'm still very much into, and then there was always this like conservative kind of backlash towards hip hop, mm-hmm. some of which is totally justified, by the way. Um, you know, especially like like exposing young girls to, you know, like like letting your twelve year old listen to music videos where Nicki Minaj is like showing off her tits and like twerking and like like all these things. Like obviously those are wrong, but the the key, um a buffer between those cultural uh, kind of hedonistic influences would be family, would be, would be your upbringing. And, and same with porn, right? Like you're saying, it's, there are other, um, there are other predetermining factors that could lead to certain maladaptive uh, habits with porn. Mm-hmm. And those things need to be addressed, not really the porn itself, but rather antisocial behavior or certain um, Social pathologies, etc. Mm-hmm. Th- those things are definitely important to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you no, want to get into we, the mindfulness we, thing as well before before we yeah, go? Yeah, yeah.
1: We have a, we have a little bit of time, um, and okay. I feel like it's all connected, right? Because yeah, when you start practicing mindfulness, I feel like that's when you start your the version of reality that you exist in starts to shift and then you start to look at problems different, different and you start to look at people differently and you start to question when things like morals, things like um, all of these objective truths that have kind of just been put on you from a young age. So it's the way that you can really understand yourself and then therefore understand the world around you. And so many of us don't take the time to just sit in silence with our thoughts. Right? Like Naval talks about clearing out your email. Like email 0 i think inbox 0 is what he calls it. Um so sitting with your thoughts and and not fighting them, not having that I think um that stereotype of you having to sit down and and not have thoughts intrude that silence and if you um if you do have thoughts or if you are interrupted that you're not meditating properly and that's not what it is. It's it's seeing not. it like a passing car, right? So you're aware of it, but you don't hold on to it. Um so you get to the point where if you do it enough, Naval says you get to inbox zero and then that is where you can experience true silence and just be. And then there's a lot of people that can't just be. And then that's the problem. So you are glued to these devices and these distractions and then you get filled with angst and um, whatever other negative emotions that come up because – you're so insecure in that moment, so it's so crucial. I mean, I don't do it enough, but mm-hmm. I've learned a lot about myself and my relationships through mm-hmm. the years of me practicing on and off. And I think we were talking about Sam Harris's app, the Waking Up one. And the coolest thing, I highly recommend it. It's, um, I think it's like a hundred mm-hmm. bucks. And if you can't afford it, you email him and they'll give it to you for free, which is yeah. pretty pretty freaking cool. No questions. That's asked. awesome. Um, yeah. But when I do it, I don't know if you have the same experience, but I'll think something and then he says it. And there's all of these moments where exactly what's happening, if maybe I get an itch on my face, and he's like, maybe you're getting an itch on your face. I was like, how does he know? How does he know? Um, but it's, it is the most incredible meditation app that I've used.
0: Yeah, no, I, I have had that uh, experience, especially the one thing he says a lot about, um, he uh, has different ways of saying the exact same thing about like, oh, if you're lost in thought right now, you know, where did that thought come from? Where where does it come from? What is its origin? How is that thought impinging on consciousness right now? And where does that thought go? And then all of a sudden, just kind of, um, kind of just attacks, uh, kind of of just pinpoints that one problem that you may be having in that time, which is just being flooded with thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's the the, uh, fundamental insight of mindfulness is that there is th- that you don't have to be continually spellbound with this incessant and, and um, um, this incessant and never ending conversation you're having with yourself in your head all the time, this constant identity construction and construction of others and it constantly just interpreting the world and, being lost in the past and the future, and just not acknowledging the present moment that you're mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. and and that's especially important for me because I I'm actually I would say like psychologically or biologically not predisposed to mindfulness practice because I'm I'm an overthinker and I'm very high in uh creativity and I just I'm always just like thinking about the next article idea or like this this idea for going on this date with this girl or like this thing that I wanna do or maybe I wanna write this book or sometimes getting stuck in fantasy land like that's very, very easy for me. Like, oh like one day I wanna go on Joe Rogan's podcast and I wanna say this, this and that and oh, how can I reach out to him? Oh, you know, what the one time he said this to me or oh I'm talking to Ben Shapiro tomorrow, and this is what I want to say, but oh, what if I mess up? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I sound like an idiot and Ben Shapiro starts judging me and what I'm saying, or what if I say a stat wrong, this like constant like conversation you're having with yourself is not useful at all. Mm-hmm. That's the fundamental insight is like these, this perpetual flood of thoughts that you're having is not actually helping you. It's actually just ruining your state of mind. And and for me, this is something that I'm still kind of learning to balance a little bit because I'm still kind of, you know, I'd love to talk to Sam Harris Um, about this one day. And I do have other meditation instructors, like I don't know if you've done in person courses or retreats at all. Have you Mm -hmm. ever done that before?
1: Yeah, I've done some in person retreats.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are really helpful. Um, But I I would like to talk to other experts in the field about like balancing between actual creative rumination, like actually coming up with ideas, because frequently when I'm lost in thought, which is, you know, um, the very thing you're attempting to eradicate meditation or at least mitigate to some degree that thought processes that that thought process often leads to the germination of various creative ideas. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just like lost in thought while I'm working out or while I'm driving all of a sudden I'll have like, Oh, that's the perfect way to end off this essay. And I've been stuck here for the longest time. Like, Oh, I can wrap it up with this anecdote about this event. Oh, that's perfect. And then I tell my editor that it's perfect or like a few times, I've even like before going to bed, I'm like ruminating about a specific idea, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, like that's a really compelling article idea. I'm gonna pitch it to my editor tomorrow, and then she's interested. But then mm-hmm. the counter side of that is like, again, where where the rumination just leads to the collapse of well being, where you're like, this girl said this to me, and I can't just get it out of my head, and I'm just thinking about it constantly and incessantly like, oh, she said this to me, and oh, what does this mean? Is this over? Are we friends? Are we not friends? And this constant the cycle of thoughts. And so mindfulness just really grounds you in the moment and, and liberates you of all the baggage of past events and future plans. Like in this moment, like I am talking to you, and that is a beautiful thing, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's also the beautiful thing of, of conversation. Like when you're talking to somebody that you really like, and Mm -hmm. it's a fruitful conversation, it's like for that period of time, you're not constantly thinking about the future or the past. And then sometimes like after that conversation, you realize like, Oh, this is what human experience is like Mm -hmm. in its truest, most pure form is connecting with present experience with full force and, and with full vigor rather than being perpetually, uh, lost in thought and, and not realizing that that this moment is subjectively all you have right now is while you're at the gym working out or you're um, or you just woke up and you're making coffee or you're eating or you're going out for a walk. Right. It's being and enjoying that moment rather than letting your own psychological processes just like totally destroy that experience right it's like you can look at a, you know a beautiful tree with totally different mindsets right you can look at as like oh this is beautiful this is really pretty and this Mm -hmm. is like the the greenery and this is how the branches are formated and you know what a beautiful piece of art created by nature right that's one way of looking at it or you could you know be staring Mm -hmm. at it while you're out for a walk and you can be thinking like oh you know she said this to me and oh am i a shitty person like fuck her like oh i hate this and you're not seeing the tree. You're just seeing this 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 horrible thought process in your head. So, mm-hmm. so I think meditation is is really important for for dealing with that endless cycle of being lost in thought.
1: Hmm. No. I yeah. I can definitely really I've done um, some of these, I guess, like brain training weeks, um, and essentially it's basically super. Super deep and um, intense meditation, and for very, very long periods of a time at a time in chunks. And you're basically in sensory deprivation. So everything kind of gets amplified. Um, What sounds to me what was happening, and when you were describing the difference between when you kind of are daydreaming and you get this idea that's really great and creative versus ruminating, and the difference there is. When you get get into this place, and it kind of gets into spirituality a little bit, so it's going to sound woo woo to some people. And you know, take it for no, what no, you want. Go, but- go for it.
0: I, I I love spirituality. It's it's very important. Some people are like, oh, like what do you mean when you talk about like being one with the universe? It's like, no, there there is something to spiritual and mystical experience, especially related to like, well, yeah. I was gonna say no. psychedelic. We can we can maybe we can maybe touch on that after if you want. No, yeah, totally.
1: I am super go, into go spirituality. It. I I love all yeah. of that stuff. Um, yeah. So when you're getting those aha moments, you tend to be in a theta state, which is kind of that daydreamy um, that daydreamy space. And then some people would say that it's you accessing akashic records. So all of the information that was, is, or ever will be. So it's t- you just kind of pulling out from the universe's library. If you will. So Michael Jackson used to say, like, he'd get his ideas while he was sleeping and he'd wake up with them, like, for his songs. And he would call his producer or agent or something and be like, We have to get in the studio right now. I need to write this song. And they're like, Michael, it's four in the morning. We can do it later. This is ridiculous. And he's like, No, if I don't write it, Prince is going to. So it was like, (laughs) it was the idea that that information wasn't his, right? It already existed and he was just, he was pulling it for himself and that's kind of where those daydreams and that theta state gets you. And then when you're in that rumination period it tends to be of more gamma uh, state which is very fast um, and very negative and it's very hard to get into a flow state. So you're not going to be really creative, you're not going to problem solve accurately. it's just like too much um, too much happening up up in your brain. So you have to do something like meditation to bring those waves down. So you, it, this training essentially gets you to intentionally put yourself into an alpha, theta, or um, now delta state, and then to be able to access all of the benefits from those places. So alpha would be um, flow. Athletes get there a lot. Um, any anyone that's really skilled at a specific trade can get there and it's losing a perception of time and space and you're just like in the zone. Um, they also say it's like really good for manifestation. So uh, you can, you know, do your affirmations and all of that while you're meditating. And then hopefully those things come obviously with a good combination of hard work, but a little bit of magic too.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. Although usually when you're meditating, you want to kind of let go um of desire a little bit, right? It's well not a little bit that it is depends on your kind of-
1: objective, right? Like you can you can sure,
0: sure. Because if you yeah. talk
1: about Joe Dispenza, for example, he does meditation retreats and they're that that agenda is healing. So it's it there's still a means to that end. And you're still in a state, you're in a heightened state um consciously, like your your consciousness is heightened and elevated. But there's still a goal. It's like you go there and you're trying to cure your glaucoma or a cancer mm-hmm. or, or whatever. And he has some crazy stories from um from his retreats of like very, very amazing success stories. So I think there's times where you meditate and your goal is to just be and be no one and have no thought, right? And that's an intention. Or it could be to manifest or it could be to heal or it could be to heal and to like fit, emotionally heal and forgive. Um. So, yeah, I think that there's always an intention, even if that intention is to have no intentions.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, It's, you know, the three principles I like to keep in mind when meditating are, and this was taught to me by a meditation retreat, sorry, a meditation teacher, which is you are nothing, you want nothing, and you do nothing Mm -hmm. for that period of time. Because for me, that's one of the key triggers for, for, uh, getting lost in thought is like, I want this, I want that. I want, I want to convince this girl to love me, or I want to finish this article or I want to do this podcast or achieve this goal. Um, and so it, it's, it's always coming from a place of, of wanting and that is another fundamental insight of meditation is in the process of always trying to, become happy we're we're actually losing our ability to be happy Mm -hmm. right because we're always and this is an insight that i've very kind of recently come across and i've been thinking a lot about about the the half-life of actual um positive experience or the the half-life of actually achieving something like you um you finish a marathon and you're really happy about it, or you're finally in this relationship with this girl you've been dreaming about. And then, you know, a few weeks later, you're like, Oh, she's kind of annoying. Like she's always like bothering me. And I'm not like being productive, like something that you always really, really wanted. Or even like, you can take a look at like being really thirsty for water. And then you like, all you think about is like, Oh, I'm so thirsty and my throat is parched. And that's dominating your consciousness. Mm-hmm. And then you take a sip of that water and you keep sipping and sipping. And then it's like, Oh, that's, all of a sudden, it's like that desire dissipates, and, and then you, you, it's it's not you can't just drink water forever, right? It's everything is transient. All experiences are transient, including very pleasurable experience, and acknowledging the cyclicality of that. That y- you holding your happiness contingent on a certain goal or ambition or person is not a sustainable framework to have because as soon as you get that thing you're going to become dissatisfied very quickly or you're going to be distracted or pursuing that other thing that you want mm-hmm. right like you you know you want to be in a relationship you're in the relationship and then, then you feel like you're not productive, right? I know certain people who have been in relationships and they, they feel like they're not as academically focused enough because they're always thinking about this person and their work is suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm speaking of younger people or, you know, you're in the relationship and then next you want kids and then you got kids. And then you look at your friends who are single who don't have kids who aren't in relationships. And they're getting so much work done. But really when you were in that place, you wanted that relationship. So it's like this constant loop of never actually being happy, but trying to become happy and you rob yourself of, of well-being. And, th- and that's a realization that is important for me to, to have more and more or to inch closer towards that fundamental insight because I am super, super ambitious and super driven to do mm-hmm. certain things, mm-hmm. um, especially for my age, obviously. it's I'm, I'm always striving for that next thing all the time, that next viral article going on Ben Shapiro's show, Talking to Jordan Peterson, oh, I just talked to him for three hours. That was super cool. Oh my god, that was amazing. And this kind of like euphoric bliss all of a sudden, like, God, I just talked to Jordan Peterson for three hours. Holy shit. And uh-huh. then it's like then you wake then you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, now, you know, what's the next thing? Now I want to go on Megan Kelly's podcast. Now I want to do Joe Rogan's show. And then the happiness from talking to Jordan Peterson was, you know, as amazing as that, you know, was and and he's awesome and so inspirational. But ultimately that euphoric high that you get is is temporary and then you're searching you're searching for the next thing and so for me it's very important to come to that realization because I'm always just chasing and chasing and chasing and I I never seem to be just happy on my own and that's why meditation is just so so crucial to to ground me and to actually be present opposed to just lost in thought all the time.
1: There's this really good book. It's um it's written by the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop Tutu. It's called The Book of Joy, and they kind of distinguish the difference between happiness and joy, which is really fascinating and he kind mm-hmm. of uh he kind of says that joy is an internal state that can uh that has longevity, that can exist regardless of external factors. And then happiness is more of that fleeting moment. So that's more based off of these ex- external things that you're chasing. Um, and that it's important to be able to do do the work to be able to get your inner state to joy and stop focusing so much on happiness. Because like you said, it's always fleeting, right? It's, it's temporary. It's a lot of you know neurochemicals that are going off and you're getting that dopamine, which is that anticipatory Uh, neurochemical and then as soon as you get it it's gone right like as you start Mm -hmm. eating that piece of cake it's like it's no longer exciting um so to be able to have something that's a little bit more substantial and then has more staying power than that one thing
0: right and you were saying you've been on this uh, meditation retreat was it where you were meditating for for how many hours was it i'm curious about your experience and, and what you what insights you got from that
1: so the one they don't really market it as meditating per se, but it's essentially what it is. Um, it's done with very specific parameters. Like he has this patented protocol that you do to be able to achieve the success that you do when you leave, as far as your brain scans go. Um, but they don't. There is no time. So you go into a building and you don't have any windows there you don't have cell phones there's no clocks on anything so you don't have time like he doesn't believe in time for the most part he tries to live (laughs) his life without belief like he'll set meetings and respect those right because he has to function in the real world but um he does he tries to avoid it while he can so i think my longest day there was probably I don't know, 15 hours or something like that. And for a good amount of it, you go into um, this room and it – it's pretty cold. It's like in the 60s because they want you to be alert. It's pitch black. Like you can't see your hand in front of your face. There is a screen that gives you your brain's uh, brain scores on it as far as which hemispheres are firing and at what amplitude. And then you can hear your brain waves. So the only sensory feedback you have is auditory, but I mean, it makes you really go inside, right? And then I would imagine you're probably in there for two-plus hours at a time. So it's a while. Mm. Yeah. And then you get a break, and then you go back in, and you go back in, and then you mm-hmm. talk about it, and you deconstruct um, your experiences if you had any. And you can actually have the equivalence of psychedelic experiences, like hallucinations, mm. auditory, right. visual um, even like feeling like you're out of body, like crazy, crazy stuff. But mm-hmm. the whole – the practical goal of it is you leave and you have usually 13 plus points on your EQ. Your IQ goes up a couple points. Um, a lot of people's income tends to naturally go up when they, when they leave just because of all of these other things, EQ, IQ, and law of attraction. He gets very spiritual there he kind of waits till you're there to start giving you all of the information. Um, so his goal is to help usher in global enlightenment. So it's like a very mm-hmm. ambitious goal that he has. Yeah, and he's a really fascinating dude. Um, it's called it's called Bioci- Cybernaut, and the founder is Dr. Hart, and it's H A R D T. I actually did a podcast with him, but he is. Mm. He's just such a great guy. He's one of those people that you meet and he's just so light and so intelligent. And the way that he sees the world and the information he has is mind-blowing. And mm. um, yeah, it's uh, it's highly recommended. I was I was a totally wow. different person afterwards. I never would have – Really? Yeah. Never would have fallen into meditation or uh, – he does a lot of forgiveness work. That's kind of what his protocol is to get you into these alpha states. Um am like, I'm not – Forgiven that person you don't know what they did to me or they don't deserve it and it's it's Mm -hmm. shifting Mm -hmm. the way that you look at reality and saying it has nothing to do with them has nothing to do with them has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with what they did it could be horrendous it has to do with healing yourself Mm -hmm. and um Mm -hmm. all of the benefits you're going to get from that even you know some people that have autoimmune issues or get disease a lot of it comes from um all of this hate that we have inside of us and all of this residual resentment and um, not taking care of traumas and wrongdoings and he's seen people turn corners with serious health issues with personality issues psychological issues Um, so it's really fascinating and it's all basically because of meditating and and his technology so he's really advanced in the field with that I think that that helps speed it up a lot. but it's not to say that you know meditation, the old fashioned way of you sitting in, the right. in a quiet yeah, yeah. room, isn't gonna isn't gonna help.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, I should reach out to him. Maybe it's very interesting, Doctor Hart. Yeah, he's the
1: coolest him. dude. I highly recommend. Yeah, yeah.
0: It. Maybe, maybe I should listen to your podcast with him. Yeah, it's
1: it's cool. We de- We had it sucked. We were talking for an hour and a half, and then I realized his link wasn't working. I was using a different platform, and it wasn't recording his audio for some reason. Ooh, so only got okay. mine, and we had. So such juicy, juicy, juicy content. <laughs> and, he's, and he was like, this was divine intervention. It's probably wow. good that it doesn't go out. We'll just start over and I'll just omit some of the spicier okay. stuff. And I was like, damn it, yeah. but it was so yeah. good.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I like that. That's divine intervention when something doesn't go in the desirable way. I like that. that, that
1: no, he purely thing. believes that. He's a very, very spiritual guy. Wow, um, wow. Mm-hmm.
0: Very but, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll look into it.
1: You totally yeah. should.
0: You, yeah. Is is he open to like talking to people or is he like very busy with like his work? He's super busy,
1: but if he yeah, – yeah. like you have a platform, right? And you're yeah. doing some really cool stuff. So I think he would make yeah. time. And I mean his goal too is to get more brand awareness to be able to help change um, – Humanity mm-hmm. at his scale, right? He's like literally trying yeah. to raise everyone, every conscious human being to a different level of enlightenment. So, um, the, I think the more ears that he gets, the better.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, yeah, I like those kind of spiritual entrepreneurs. People are spreading mm-hmm. uh, not just a positive message, but yeah, like leading to you know spiritual growth. Um, yeah, that that's very interesting to me. Yeah. Like especially, peop- especially people are just so committed to bettering the lives. Of others, or or also like other people. I don't know if you've met like uh, like monks or gurus. I don't know if you've ever been in that realm where like I have who not. Are like,
1: unfortunately, I would love to though.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I've met I've met a couple of gurus before. Um, maybe just one. Shri Shri Ravi Shankar is his name. He's a he's a leader of the Art of Living Foundation, okay. which is I think probably the biggest global meditation organization. Where they have um, do you know what ashrams are? Mm-mm. So places where places where people go, like a temple, like a church, but you go there for meditation and service. Okay. and There's food, and you know you volunteer. It's a big organization, and so there's uh, art of living ashrams all across. There's a few in um, in the U.S. and a lot of art of living courses in the Bay Area and L.A. and New York and Vancouver and Germany and India, obviously all these places. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very interesting to meet meet with somebody who is a guru or somebody who has like renounced the material world who Mm -hmm. like just doesn't have these, these uh, constant sexual or material or um, hedonistic impulses at all. Like they're just committed to bettering the lives of others and being fully connected in this moment. Like that is like, that's enlightenment. And that's like, I'm just so far away from that ideal that that just so fascinates me and I'm Sometimes I'm even a little skeptical. Like, is that even achievable or do I even want that? But, I was going to say, yeah, you have to ask yourself yeah. if you
1: even want it. You know what I mean? And I don't think that's well, for everybody.
0: No, 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 no. no. Yeah. And it's like, in fact, you don't want it. Like 99% of people I don't want
1: it. I'm here no, yeah. in this flesh suit sure, sure. for a reason to experience exactly, all yeah. of my sen- senses and go 100 until I hit a wall.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, but at the same time, you need to get those insights from for the Eastern sure. realm. Like so many people I know, like so many, or not that I know, but that I know of, including Sam Harris, like Westerners who are so dissatisfied with this, you know, overly consumerist capitalist society where you're just kind of wanting and wanting and your desires are constantly fed more and more with the rise of technology and commerce and the internet. And so they're just so dissatisfied with the material world that they go out and trek to the East, to India, and they go meditate and they learn from People who have, who have renounced absolutely everything, and now they're just sitting and meditating. And a lot of people they they draw they draw parallels between those kind of experiences with with psychedelic experiences. Which I don't know if you've ever explored in that realm before.
1: Uh, I have, but it wasn't as magical as I wanted. I have another one scheduled for next month and I'm going to do it with my husband. So I'm hoping that maybe him being there will help amplify my experience. I also did a really small dose because I'm someone that's very sensitive to anything, super sensitive to caffeine and alcohol. So I wanted to be conservative with that. Um, And I still like I had an, an experience, but it wasn't It wasn't life-changing, and I didn't see any aliens, and it wasn't like that. You know what I mean? So we'll see about the second one. But I hate to cut this short, but I actually do have to go. I would love to have you back on because I would love to get more into, like, psychedelics and spirituality and all of that good stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: um, For sure,
0: especially since since I'm going to be exploring with psychedelics. I'm just beginning to get into it, so maybe – Next yeah. Let I'll, me know I'll, after or, you do it I'll,
1: and we can do it. Yeah, yeah. We can do an episode. That'd be super cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, We'll talk about it. I'm going to start with microdosing and then maybe have some actual trips with psilocybin. I would and, say
1: and the opposite. Yeah, I'd say do no? the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> microdosing. Okay. So it, again, if you're going at it from a spiritual angle, you want to be, um, very specific as to what mushroom you're getting, where it's coming from, like have some kind of mentor, um, That's leading the ceremony, right? Like a shaman, ideally, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you'll do this really elaborate ceremony. The ceremony for us was like two hours before we actually even took the mushroom. And that's so important. It's so, so important. With the
0: shaman, you did this?
1: Yeah, yeah. We have a shaman. He's like, we see him all the time. He comes over at the house. We do meditation (laughs) things like weird. Yeah, yeah. He's part of the family. Hook me up.
0: Hook me up. (laughs) Part of the family.
1: Uh, Totally. Yeah. yeah. He's got an um, entheogenic church. And so it's all above above ground, but you kind of connect and integrate with this plant before you do the journey. And that's so, so imperative. And then after that, you microdose from the same plant. That way, you can kind of mm. re-experience um, that frequency to some level. So you don't want to just be microdosing casually. It's not a great idea. Um, you don't know the plant. There hasn't been that ceremonial connection. It's essentially going to be mm-hmm. like you taking Adderall. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you're not going to you're not going to get a lot from it.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I've heard the exact opposite from various experts that I've spoken to about psychedelics. Like, there's yeah. Doctor uh, Doctor Mike Hart who uh, specializes in uh, Marijuana medicine, but also psychedelic therapies based in Toronto. He's been on Joe Rogan before mm-hmm. and a couple of other guys um, as well. And they they recommended microdosing as a way to ease into it, to kind of just familiarize yourself with it. And and, and especially Dr. Hart was telling me about microdosing can help with people who over ruminate. It can just give you subtle changes in consciousness where you're you're a bit more present, you're a bit more aware of your surroundings, and you're not just constantly thinking about yourself or being obsessive, that's the most common apparent um, experience people have. And that's something that I, that's one of the reasons why I want to try psychedelics and explore in that whole realm is to experience that kind of ego death, the beyond the self that people Mm -hmm. always talk about through psychedelics. So, so for me, you know, I've done a lot of research and so I think I'm going to try with the microdosing because it it won't have a radical effect on me anyways. I'm going to go super, super small at first just for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. So it's totally harmless. Um, And and see what happens afterwards. See if if it works or if I experience something or not, or if it's horrible or if it's profound. So Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of experimentation, I
1: think. Yeah. Well, good luck. Yeah. Let me know when you do your big big trip. I'd love to hear about it. But can you tell the listeners where they can follow you, um, any work, where they can find your articles um, and how they can support you?
0: Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at R-A-V-A-R-O-R-A-1, one, R-A-V-A-R-O-R-A-1. One. You can follow me there, and I usually write for the New York Post and the Globe and Mail and Quillette, so you can find my articles there. If you search out my name, you can find it all there.
1: Well, good stuff. I'm, um, I'm super glad that this worked out, and thank you so much for giving me all of your time.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Appreciate it.
1: Well, that's it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review, commenting, sharing it with a buddy. And if you really, really liked the podcast, you can go to chattingwithcandice.com and click that little link that says buy me a coffee or sign up for my Patreon account. Both things help me out a ton. Everything goes directly back into the podcast and advertising. And then also just a quick reminder, if you're not on Minds yet, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's basically a free for all Twitter that's decentralized and they believe in um, freedom of speech and their anti-censorship. They actually pay you in Minds coins. So, so they have their own cryptocurrency, which is pretty cool. So um, yeah, you can join me on Minds. It's just mindscom slash Candice Horback. You should check it out if you believe in freedom. I'll see you guys next time.